Welcome back to We Want More, a Doof Media podcast production. Today we are discussing chapters 27 and 28. Brian, how are you doing Hello, today? Everybody. I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. It's nice and... How are our listeners doing? Yeah, how are oh, you guys wait, doing? we can't hear them. Everyone talking to your phones You're right well. now, we can hear you. Talking like this strange guy on the train on the way to work, mumbling <laughs> to himself. Yeah, man. It's a good, good weather for sitting inside and podcasting because it's been snowing nonstop basically all weekends, so... Yep. All right. Well, what did you think of these two chapters, broadly speaking? Uh, a couple of, so, like, Harry's a bigger douche than normal this time around. What? Um, <laughs> Hot take from Brian. Uh, and then, yeah, and then it's, it's, but it feels like we sort of, like, have swapped over to kind of a, like, a science-y, I don't want to say chapter because it's more than one chapter, but, like, we're kind of, like, pressing pause on the quarrel stuff and kind of we're going off into kind of the more the nuts and bolts of digging into the science version of magic. So that part I thought was kind of cool. But um, but yeah, Harry was not so uh, warm and fuzzy this time. Oh, man. So we'll see. Harry without his warm fuzzies makes this hard to, hard to go uh, through. There are, there are some moments of, relief, of comic relief, though. So And they start off pretty funny. I think it opens up with Harry begging to Fred and George to please explain how their prank worked. And I know I totally I didn't get it at first because so we find like and they at first it starts out like they just won't tell him but then we see that uh, or we hear that uh, they actually had themselves uh, obliviated so that they don't even know and I couldn't couldn't like quite get that if I didn't really understand what was going on with that and I'm like oh so I thought that was pretty funny yeah they, <laughs> their last memory was what we last saw was them talking to Flume and him refusing to help. Um, so they don't know how they did it, which like kind of bugs them because they pulled they off the greatest know, prank in the history know. of pranking. And I'm gonna hope we find out they don't. We don't just like leave this one hanging. Oh uh, yeah, that would be super yeah. annoying. That would suck. Um, I was gonna say yeah. So you didn't. They like leave, and that's that was another one like my little moment of confusion because they're like all smiling, uh, and then Harry leaves, and they it said like they want to make sure they keep smiling for a little bit longer than necessary before anybody's there. And then they like drop their smiles and they're like, uh, and that's when we find out like they don't even remember what it was they did because they've had it obliviated and all they know is that's what they did to themselves to themselves. Um, so they're just like really irritated that they know that they just pulled off something super awesome and they have no idea what it was. Right. You know, and it's funny, it's not clear to me how they know that they agreed to be obliviated because all their memories <laughs> I are know, gone, that's right? true. Um, it's like, you know, presuming that they set up mm-hmm. the prank and that they worked with people to make this happen, then they would have said, okay, yeah, go ahead, wipe our minds of it. But it is funny that they're that they're sure that they're, like, consenting obliviated uh, mm-hmm. or consent, consenting to it. But if your mind is wiped, there's no way you would know that. So, yeah. And I think as they were talking about it, they said that the whatever um, fraudulent copy of the document, something, something, um, that had been altered had been re-altered uh, to go back to its original state or whatever again and i was confused like was this a document or was this a, a an event that rita skeeter actually saw but i as i'm reading that i'm like oh this is sort of leaving it open to whatever it was that rita skeeter saw didn't ever actually like she only thought she saw a thing and the official anything was never actually modified i'm picturing some like weird involved like they kidnapped her and drugged her and then she got into a room full of people that were polyjuiced uh, and like an entire like an entire ceremony was played out in front of her, completely fooled, and then she like got taken back. Or 
Oh my God, that's awesome. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm picturing, something like that. So she's like, oh, and I saw the real thing. It's like, no, you never saw the real thing. And the reason why it went back after the hoax was over is because it was never changed in the first place. That is a good I, paranoid level plotting yes, right there. I'm all about that now because I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more sold on my uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern idea. Well, so, we'll see so how. So now I'm getting, like reading in all, all kinds of weird paranoia things. I love it. I, but, it, I you know, it's not uh, like one of my favorite characters from... And it's interesting because in the original books, we never really get to spend that much like FaceTime with the actual Mad-Eye Moody, just a good imposter. Yeah. But I still love like that character of just like the whole like constant vigilance, always be crazy paranoid. They're always out to get you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that level of like just trying to up your paranoia level is like hilarious to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, going through it like that makes it, makes it really funny. Um, there's this funny bit where... Uh, they're thinking like how kind of affronted they are that Harry got questioned under Veritas serum, but they didn't like, despite the obviously obvious Weasley connection. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they're like, even mom hadn't questioned them about it despite the Weasley connection. Um, so like they're, they're kind of torn between like glad that they're not in scrutiny for it, but also like annoyed that, uh, you know, they don't, they're not getting any credit. Right. Yeah. And I like the, uh, you, you pull it. I think we, we both actually pulled that quote. You pulled the bigger part of the quote about, um, cause they wanted credit for it, but then they were talking about like how much trouble they would get in their family. Um, I'll steal your quote. Uh, they would have liked to be able to tell their family about that part. Dad would have congratulated them. They thought after mom had finished killing them and Ginny had burned the remains. <laughs> I thought that was a good, I can, the, the, they captured the, uh, many children vibe. I, I'm the second of four kids and that's kind of the. There's lots of yelling and people getting in trouble. Nice. Yeah, I just I remember what what you know what uh, hooligans they were in the canon too, and they seem to be carrying that forward in this, um, and like with the same personalities of the parents, you know, the mm-hmm. the whole thing. And I just I'm just picturing like a little cutaway like theme song like from a sitcom. It's like <laughs> oh those classic Weasleys. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, but then there yeah, was the funny thing that happened that I liked where, like you know I guess because Dumbledore somehow knows that they were involved um and mm. he like rather than like you know chastising them or doing whatever he just does like this awesome badass old wizard thing where he like he's passing them in the hallway and sneezes and he accidentally seemingly drops a small package which has like these two ward breaker Not monocles one, but two All right, now was that like a minute that the ward breakers monocles thing it was written like that was like i was just supposed to know what those were it's that something from the original version or I mean, you eventually describe it, so you figure it out. But yeah, not not that I recall. It just seems like you can see like magical wards and webs and stuff mm-hmm. with the like through these eyeglasses, yeah. uh, or through these, I guess, monocles. Um, and it says that they made it's a quick cool, trip to and from the magic mirror in the third floor corridor, and they hadn't been able to see all the detection webs clearly, but the monocles had shown them a lot more than they had seen the first time. Mm-hmm. So I, I like so I think the ward breakers monocles is a very Dungeons and Dragons name for a special item. Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, I meant to point out, and I've got it linked somewhere, I can put it in the show notes, but uh, like the opening sentence of this is, J.K. Rowling is 87% confident you'll burst into flames. Oh, is that what that meant? So, so that's from like this little comic so that Inyash sent me. It's some D&D thing where one of the characters is like a Bayesian, uh, 
like impure i forget what their power like their class name was but bajan was in there somewhere and they're up against this monster and the the, per, the character's like i'm 87 percent sure you're about to catch on fire and then it catches on fire um <laughs> so it's, it's a little joke to that but um anyway dumbledore is cool with that and they're happy that not all gryffindors turn out like professor mcgonagall so um <laughs> yeah i was gonna i remember reading that too you always like lose track i guess to some extent like Snape always feels Slytherin, but sometimes I get like the allegiance or just the kind of association between different teachers of different characters of the houses that kind of jumble together. And maybe it's maybe it's just because Dumbledore is such a central character, and you know, Griffin like the whole world is Gryffindor as far as uh, the original books are concerned. So when it said like, oh, McGonagall, I'm like, oh yeah, McGonagall's the head of Gryffindor. Yeah, I guess you know, Dumbledore I think is supposed to be kind of like transcending his original yeah. house if he's going to run the whole school or whatever. But but he's got a favorite. Was he originally a Gryffindor? Yeah, I don't remember that? I, I believe so. Being, it was never very focused on. I'm assuming he, he was. I, I bet it's like a Gryffindor. Um, anyway, then we get a nice little line break scene change to Harry sitting in a white, windowless, featureless uh, room in front of a an expressionless man wearing solid black robes. And they're, uh, he's getting ready for his first occlumency lesson, which is kind of fun because, like, the whole situation set up to be, like, as, I don't know, this kind of, like, ominous and serious thing as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he, the instructor, uh, Mr. Bester, puts up 27 cool spells of detection and warding before they, like, even yeah. say hello. Mr. And Bester's a really good, like, creepy interrogator name. I know. I'm not sure. Like, really maybe it's a reference nice. to something, but I got the exact same creepy. vibe from it. Yeah. Well, did it also did it strike you? Because because like, he goes to a fair amount of effort to describe the room. I think he calls it like white a, a couple times. There's something, and it like worked well, but like because it was like unsettling. But was it to you that like a clean, plain white room, and that's a very like clinical whatever. It seems like that completely does not fit in Hogwarts. Did that which like added to like the creepy level of it but did you did that like cross your mind at all you know despite it describing it as a white room over and over I'm, i i keep picturing a dark dungeon room so mm. that fits perfectly with my model of hogwarts <laughs> but yeah if i picture kind of like a a solid you know psych ward room or something which is yeah, like what it's describing like one one plain table and a chair and yeah like walls and fluorescent lighting that's kind of what i pictured you know and then but two guys in robes I'll go ahead and just toss it up to saying that everything fits in Hogwarts. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was cool. Though. I mean, it was good because because it like didn't work. But so then that helped. Like it's like, oh, this is weird. Like this isn't right. So yeah, it was cool. It kind of added to the because yeah, because Bester's just seemed like really creepy. Yeah, he he seems like uh, I mean, this is apparently his job, but I don't know. You get the impression that he's. He just screams like villain, even though like he's mm-hmm. paid professional. I don't know. It's awesome. So like Harry's all super confident that he's going to be fine here because uh, his dark side, as it turns out, so like the, the it it kind of goes into some depth explaining how occlumency and legitimacy work. Um, legitimacy is the practice of reading minds. Occlumency is the practice of defending your mind. Um, yeah, he kind of got it made me wonder. Like sometimes there's just sort of like the the detailed explanations of things is just sort of like, okay, this is an interesting, like we're kind of just play the, the the mental game of, okay, what would it mean if this bit of magic was true? This one seemed weird in that 
And so, so, you know, a lot of time we'll just kind of go into unnecessary detail just because the unnecessary detail is interesting. This one, or maybe it's just me, the detail didn't seem all that interesting because he's kind of going into, and especially because it was very made up about like, this is how occlumency works, this is how the legimency works. Um, and he kind of got into it. So then it made me again, I'm like, oh, this is going to be something that's like plot point later. Like it's in like the weird little details of what he puts in here are going to be important to some plot point later because it was like a lot of detail in a not super interesting way. Um, about, yeah, so I, I, there was just like one little section in there. It's not worth reading because it was, um, but I'm like, oh, this is like important plot wise. I suppose it could be. I honestly, I think my, my read on it is like, I think the author has fun just like imagining specifics of how things work. And this, this resonated with me because it's, it's a lot like, um, the telepathy, uh, in uh, what do you call it? I guess attack and defense in the inheritance cycle book series. Uh, the first book was Aragon. They made that terrible movie um, where, like, a like I think there was, it had something to do with like how strong you were or something. But you could try and like mm-hmm. basically knock into someone's mind, and if you had no protections whatsoever, you wouldn't even notice. And if you had some, they could try and rail against it. But the the defense there was basically to, um, like imagine at the front forefront of your mind like a solid impenetrable object like a rock or a, or a, a bar of steel or something and then the person trying to break in what you could like feel them hammering at it and that was how you knew someone was trying to penetrate your mind and it didn't have anything like perfect occlumens um so yeah the, the this one just so i liked the kind of connection that's i think why it resonated with me but this goes on to describe something that i don't think is canon and i am pretty sure wasn't an aragon either which was like you can be so like a, a decent Aquamans will know they're being um, invaded and kind of just like can put up a, a, a wall saying, nope, not you're not you're not going to be able to look there. But a perfect Aquamans can like pretend to be somebody that's anticipating uh, right ahead of the person investigating and can like generate false memories or answers or whatever to the, yeah. to the, the investigation. The impression I got from the way Harry described it is like, that's the way you do it. Like it wasn't like, oh, I can just keep you out. It was like you had to fool them. Like all you could do is like judo dodge it. You couldn't just straight up block them. So I think the, like you, I think you can block them. I think that's, it's it's partly about blocking and more about maybe you're right. Like so the blocking is to notice that someone's trying to penetrate your mind, and then like a a proficient occlumens can like dodge questions and stuff. But that would tell the the investigator that oh they're an occlumens and they're dodging my answers. But then there's this next level of perfection at it where if you're perfect documents, you can generate fake information for the person reading your mind. And that's kind of fun because then that means that like, and maybe this just, maybe it also goes into explain this because like if they had court trials in 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 the magical world, you would think it wouldn't even be about presenting evidence or It'd just be uh, reading people's minds. Yeah, they'd be like, "All right, if you're an Aquaman, drop your barriers. We're going to read your mind and see if you did this." And we're only doing that because you know it's been brought brought before the court, etc. Um, but the fact that there's such a thing as perfect Aquaman's means that like you couldn't trust legitimacy one hundred percent. Yeah, and I can imagine too, um, just that as you know, people like playing playing back plots uh, to each other. Um, from the original that mind reading sort of a lesser version of like time travel in terms of what it does to a plot. Like once you introduce the idea, like, well, wait a minute, why didn't he know that? Like, okay, why didn't Snape already know that he's a mind reader? Um, 
So then you have to, then you're like, okay, we'll wait in order to make that consistent. So that's sort of like, that's the difference for me of like where you like sometimes drift over, like it's sort of fun and interesting to think about um, like the different, just kind of the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The implications of different things from the story. And especially like try to think of like a way that like, how, how can we make all of this stuff logically make sense? But then sometimes it kind of drifts off into this where it's kind of like, okay, it really just feels like we're trying to satisfy plot lawyers. So, <laughs> I, I I can see that. I yeah. I think it adds like a level of I don't know this extra level of badass. Like I don't think it ever comes out and says if it does, it certainly hasn't yet. That like I imagine someone like Lucius Malfoy is a perfect Doc Lumens, right? Just because mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing you'd do if you're if you're powerful and evil. Um, so now it, we have to, like have we ever because we pretty much know that um, that Snape is, but it, were we ever like told explicitly that he is? Um, some cool stuff with him later, but I guess I'm not sure if legitimacy and occlumency come hand hand in hand or not. Um, I assume they do. But uh, but Snape's supposed to be at least I'm like he was well enough in the original that he was supposed to be the one that was teaching Harry. It never quite worked out, but that's what it was supposed to be. Oh, that's but right. I think, I, yeah, I think at least we're like supposed to have in the back of our mind that Snape is. But maybe we don't know. Well, we definitely don't know. You know, in this universe yet. But I think we're supposed to have in our mind that um, probably, maybe, definitely. Uh, Snape is a perfect Occlumens, and that's part of the mystery thing that comes in a little bit later. That we'll talk about, but that would um, that, I I can run with that. That makes sense. Yeah. He's definitely a Legilimens. Like he he's constantly reading yeah. kids' minds. Um, which, yeah, I guess it's yeah, because yeah, from the original he's supposed to, and actually like from my just like not very carefully rehearsed memory of the thing, I would have forgot I, I my my brain registers Snape as Occlumens and not Legilimens. Those are hard words to say. Um, like Occlumens is his, was his main superpower um, because he was supposed to be teaching Harry um, in those last couple books. Yeah. Um, so and I think that's there. I, and I'm not sure if this was a divergence from canon or from just misremembering. I feel like it was. I feel like these things that this mind reading technique of, of attack and defense was like two halves of the same coin. Um, yeah. That it was just like two different spells that you, or like, you know, Legilimency was the yeah. spell you did to mind read. I was surprised about that. Like at one defense. point he actually... Doesn't that this this in uh, Bester actually uses the word legilimens? Um, I don't remember it ever actually be like I never thought of it. I guess really as a spell and that it was cast. So it was kind of interesting to see that he like said the word legilimens, and then suddenly and, and then like half a second later read everything that Harry was trying to conceal from him. Um, I'm I think I'm getting the uh, occlumency and the uh, oh, was it the same guy? I get it, get it because there's. There's kind of two two of these sort of little episodes, right? Yeah, it's the same instructor. Um, he just has yeah, them twice in a week times. or something. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's funny because Harry walks in feeling all confident. He puts up this fake persona of Kimball Kennison. And mm-hmm. he's like pretending to be an 11-year-old boy inside his head or whatever. And then he, the um, the instructor was like, wait, the boy who lives has a mysterious dark side? <laughs> and he's like, okay, it's good to know your advantages, but... And you might actually be able to learn occlumency at 11, which surprises me. But, like, you know, you, you can't be expecting to put up a, a successful barrier on your first attempt. Mm-hmm. Did you even feel anything as I read your mind? And Harry kind of, like, shook his head. <laughs> no. It's like, okay, no, well, not. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. We're being sort of consistent in that. And that uh, every time Harry tries one of these, like, dramatic, oh, I'm just going to try so hard kind of things, they completely fall flat. Well, almost every time we'll get one next next chapter where he finally gets something. But oh, yeah. I don't want to say because yeah, he was like 
but wasn't that he was like going to use it and it was that, okay, now I can pretend to be somebody. Wasn't it this like pretend to be a lensman thing? Was it later? Was what was what later? Um, the like, oh, he's going to use his dark side to, you know, that he's got superpowers because of his dark side. I thought that was this moment where he was trying to hide, where he was trying to. Oh, that, that was. I was just thinking of, you'd said that every time Harry tries to do something impossible, he fails. Um, oh, and, yeah. And there's, there, yeah, he, yeah, he, we'll get he gets that. one thing. But, but he didn't, but that was actually just kind of a more of a like determination kind of, it wasn't like, it wasn't one of those like dramatic story kind of like, because I am the boy who lived or because I just tried really hard and blah, 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 that it's going to work. It wasn't like some dramatic like overcoming of adversity, blah, blah. It was just like he did. That one, at least to me, that that felt more uh, the product of determination. Yeah, uh, totally. Sort of like dramatic, triumphant moment. Yeah, it didn't seem like the fruit of him having a dark side or anything. It was just him trying with his science background. But I I like just the end of this little cutscene where it's like, you know, okay, well he's he's gonna try again, and um, the Mister Bester's like, all right, the goal is not to create a perfect image in your first lesson. The goal is to try to learn where your surfaces are. And Harry's like, oh, this is going to suck. Well, at least he'll be obliviated <laughs> afterwards. So his embarrassment's temporary. And then it's the next step, like it's the next uh, cut scene uh, or scene change, but it's the same kind of thing. They're just same back way. doing this again. And the um, he explains like, oh, yeah, because, you know, you're paying a fortune. I get to do it on Sunday night because, like, I have no idea what this costs. But, you know, I don't know if you if you were on call but being paid $500 an hour, you'd probably work Sunday nights, right? Um, sure. So <laughs> there, there is like the, okay, well, hello, Mr. Bester. Hello, hello, Mr. Potter. And um, Harry's like, all right, can, can we just get the initial shock out of the way? And he's like, oh, you managed to surprise me. Uh, well then. And then he does the legitimacy thing. And there was a pause and the black robed wizard jerked as if someone touched him with a cattle prod. And he's like, the Dark Lord is alive? Dumbledore turns himself invisible and sneaks into girls' dorms? And, Harry looks <laughs> I at forgot that when you said that. I'm like, oh, that is pretty creepy. Yeah. Harry looks down at his watch and he's like, and in about another three seconds. So, um, you genuinely believe you're going to discover the secret rules of magic and become all powerful. That's right. I'm that overconfident. I wonder. I didn't I didn't collect that because I think it was again I um it wasn't until I got like part of the way through reading this that I realized that oh what he was doing. Like I didn't connect that this is a thing that has happened multiple times and so Harry's having to like go through it again. Um so the first time I read that when he said like I'm that overconfident, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. He's being like sort of like self deprecating or, or whatever and now then after the fact realize like no, he's repeating what Bester had said one of the previous times. Yeah, and he's he's doing it by his so watch he doesn't really too. Really believe it, yeah. Which is kind of funny. And then he's just like, uh, <laughs> Mister Bester says, and the Sorting Hat seems to think he'll be the next Dark Lord. And then Harry says, and you know that I'm trying pretty hard not to be. And you saw that we already had a long discussion about whether or not you're willing to teach me. And in the end, you decided to do it. So can we just get this over with? And then exactly <laughs> second six seconds later, all right, prepare yourself. And then he says, though I do wish I could remember that trick with the gold and silver. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I remember that it sort of like put me through a little uh, little mental exercise after this of wanting like picturing like okay if I am that bester guy and know that I'm going to be you know obliviated after the thing's done which sort of reminds me like a couple times I've gone into surgery where they like start giving you the forget the, the forget everything medicine you like I don't know I've never remembered but I like every time I imagine myself going into being like oh am I going to remember this moment right now what about this moment right now um, but I can remember the ones prior to forgetting. 
Um, but it made me wonder like, okay, if, if a guy knows he's going into this and if it's something that, that he has done a lot, um, that like if there was some sort of negotiated, cause at least for me, I would want to know, like, I would want some sort of trusted message about it's okay. Like, okay, you don't get to remember anything that happened, but like, like some, like, could he negotiate? Like I'm allowed to write myself a note that said everything was fine. And then you have to like sign off and make sure I don't like, you know, reveal anything but like some sort of like trusted communication from himself it would just be weird to like know that you're going in there like it could be like anything could be going on and then you're going to get obliviated and you wouldn't know yeah i guess on the plus side the instructor gets to remember everything when he reads harry's mind to the next lesson right yeah and i yeah and I, actually i would like to me that would feel like reassuring you could be like ah yes yeah, so and he'd be like seeing himself through harry's eyes yeah the memory of himself that wasn't there actually now that we're saying that out loud that would be really weird that would be weird. Um, I, I think what I also find funny about this is like Harry is kind of like just disturbed by how reproducible human thoughts were when you reset people back to the same initial conditions and expose them to the same stimuli. Um, yeah, I pulled that. I mean, I pulled that quote. I highlighted that. Um, this is like a few times. This Harry's been like the volume on his dickishness went up these couple chapters because um, it seems like his this sort of. And the his reductionist, and I think that's the title of the next chapter, reductionism. Um, like he's calling, it, like he, he's thinking, well, ba- that he's knocking everybody's motivations down, and even like the ethical. We get that later with the bullies, like the ethical implications of things, down to these like super dry, predictable, um, cerebral uh, thoughts around them. And and like this one, there's this like really, I guess it like works in that the, he's like going like if we play up this scene as, oh, this is the 80th time he's had to go through it and he's getting really bored with the whole process. There's that one thing. But especially because this like arrogant condescension just flows so easily from him in this uh, paragraph that um, it just, it's, it's this weird, like this repeated thing where he's just got like bad, I keep calling it like people skills. Like it's a really like a mental block around just how do people work and which is again weird that like in because this um chapter is called empathy and so i'm again like at a loss to know like how much of this is on purpose my my going theory is that this is largely on purpose but also not sometimes um like like somebody like sort of imperfectly reflecting on the stuff that's going on in their own head um because there's something and like so here again it was just super like so it's sort of like funny to go through like okay i'm having to go through this you know interaction with Bester for the 20th time and I'm bored there's that but then there's just this like really kind of like like unattractive um condescension and just sort of like disconnection from other people like like especially because this one like when he then starts just thinking of Bester and describing Bester as basically a rehearsed script and that he's nothing more than the words he says and sort of the not at all uh, given idea that like oh if you put everybody into the same situation they're going to do the same thing all over again um, just seems re- I mean it's really cold um, and like just disconnected from other people and I think and that's kind of like a recurring theme with the way Harry like feeds in his arrogance but it's not it's not it's not purely arrogance it's the um, just this weird like wired wrong kind of way he he interacts with the other characters and some and and this is where again i'm not sure like it seems clearly like this is on purpose and like this it's being done as part of the story but then also there's sometimes where it's just like it worked too well it's like this is a thing being looked at but also a thing that like the author and especially like from everything i know about this author is only what i've 
read here and what uh, like the Discord chat has leaked out to me. Um, but it just seems like this is kind of the way he works a little bit. And he's somewhat aware of it um, coming into it. But then there's other times like, oh, but is also doing it sometimes. This works sort of like uncomfortably kind of both at the same time. I guess it's not clear to me what part of it is dickish. Like, I think what Harry's describing is just how like surreal it is to like, he's basically groundhog daying with this guy, right? And so, I mean, if you're if you're doing the breakfast scene in Groundhog Day over and over, it would just be weird. Like, because I think when you're when you're walking around talking to people, they they surprise you. They say things that are novel and things that you didn't expect. And so, like, every conversation is a little dynamic. But if every conversation, you know, because again, your Groundhog Daying starts off and goes the exact same way every time, I think that's all that he's Harry's saying here is like it's just disturbing, like. You know, in, in the way you it's, think about other people. I mean, yeah, maybe it didn't read that. At least to me, it sounded like it wasn't just, it, the vibe wasn't so much about like, oh, this is strange that this happens. It was kind of like, oh, you know, every, people are dumb. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like the, the arrogant, I'm smarter than everybody else thing. Oh, I, I, um, and that, and then I guess what made it like more uncomfortable is that, that last the last sentence that he puts it with it was it was dispelling illusions that a good reductionist wasn't supposed to have in the first place. But then he tied it to like it was somehow a you know an a admirable quality for him to think of people as predictable. Um, that I don't know. It's just, I mean because so there's the like personal interaction part of it. Um, but then for him to sort of like, like he's owning it, like, and it, yeah, maybe I'm reading it wrong. The way, the way it felt to me as I was reading it was he was sort of like being arrogantly dismissive of, of anybody that was not as cool as Harry. Um, huh. And then like doubling down and owning it as a virtue um, that, oh, and that makes me a good reductionist that I think everybody around me is completely predictable and without their own will. Um, I, because he clearly doesn't, you know, apply that to himself. Um, I, I, don't know what it takes to say to tell somebody that like i think you're reading this wrong but i i didn't pick up any of those things from that so like i picture that if harry was picturing himself in mr bester's shoes that he would be he would expect the exact same thing of himself like because that's what that's what it would mean to be you know if you weren't the one if you weren't bill murray in groundhog day and you were like another character and if one of those characters was harry he would like he would have that same thing about himself he's like man it's super weird that like I, you know, because of course I am, you know, yeah. in a deterministic, in, in a deterministic universe, I'm going to be following the exact same steps every time given the exact same setup conditions. And yet that still seems weird. I think that's all that Harry is thinking. And this isn't about him being above that. Yeah. He, he's only I guess I, on the I mean, other yeah. side of this. He, he's, see that. he's the Bill Murray in this situation yeah. rather than one that of the other characters. Yeah. And that's what makes sense. I guess that wasn't the vibe I got about it. Um, especially like, keep in mind, I only know, I only know Dick Harry. Um, that sounded weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know the whole story of Harry. I only know this guy in the beginning. Um, yeah, well, and because also, I mean, cause he says the part where he's like, that's right. Harry said evenly still king in his watch. I'm that overconfident. Like, there's something about like the looking at his watch and like predicting everything that Bester was about to say that just seemed like, oh, you've been reduced to this, you know, like you are Groundhog's Day and I am Bill Murray. Well, um, in his defense, that's sort of the situation they're in. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah. It also, it, it also yeah, plays I mean, perfectly with me because one of my favorite episodes of uh, the TV show Supernatural um, was in like season three. They do a Groundhog Day episode. And hmm. the the brother that's Groundhog Daying, he's just irritable and pissy because he's had like a thousand Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And uh, like by the end of it, you know, he's 
he's not even like trying to play along anymore. Like he, like the the waitress comes up and when she like leaves, she drops the the hot sauce or ketchup or something, and then mm-hmm. you know the brother just like eventually like catches it and sets it annoyedly on the table, and then he's like repeating the things back that his brother's gonna say to convince him that he's groundhog daying. Um, which reminds me, I have since set up a. Uh, I wonder if, if Rachel finds these things annoying. I, she's never given me an impression that she does. We have a Groundhog Day <laughs> policy where if one of us is Groundhog Daying, um, we, we, it won't take us like three days to convince the other one that it'll take us hopefully just a few seconds. So like, th- and this this isn't like a secret way. Basically, if I'm Groundhog Daying and I, tr- I tell Rachel that, what she's supposed to say is, okay, let me think of the password or like this long string of numbers or whatever. And then mm-hmm. if I guess it, that's proof that I'm Groundhog Daying because she'll have told me the day before, right? <laughs> and that's set up on the precondition, of course, that understanding that the setup conditions will be the same on every day. So, like, if I come up to her and say at nine twenty-eight a.m., "Hey, I'm Groundhog Daying," she's like, "Okay, let me think of the, let me think of a you know a thousand or a uh, you know a number between one and a million. And then she's like, "Okay, I've got it." Then I tell her the number. She's like, "Okay, shit, I guess you are Groundhog Daying." So that's that's how it's supposed to work with us. And I think that, um, I like that you're concerned enough about this event that you actually have a plan for it. I wouldn't say I'm concerned (laughs) if it took me an hour to think of this policy, then I wouldn't have spent the time, but since it took a minute, you know, really, I I think it's awesome. Well, you know, again, I'm I'm not spending an hour on everything as, uh, as remotely possible as a as a well, because no, you're busy also coming up with the system that you would use in order to know whether or not you'd been obliviated. Yeah, so that that I had in place some, years somewhere and years you've got ago, like a legal pad with all these techniques written out, don't you? Oh, they're not written down. That completely ruined the point. <laughs> yeah, and then of course my policy, my password to myself if I ever meet a time traveling future or Stephen from the future or someone who claims to be my clone. Like mm-hmm. we, we won't have to waste all the time of, you know, like, well, what, you know, are you really me? Let's go over our memories and stuff. Cause like, that wouldn't matter. It's like, all right, all right, Steven, what's the password? And then I deliver the password to myself. And then my other self delivers the second half of the password. And then we can just both skip the whole like first two episodes of the TV show where this is happening and we can just get right down to work. Right. So you got that taken care of. Exactly. Be prepared. Constant <laughs> I, vigilance. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Constant I, I think my spirit animal is Mad-Eye Moody. Uh, <laughs> So oh, that guy uh, was in the Paddington Bear movie. It was like totally off-putting. Not off-putting. I was like, wait, I can't see you as anything other than Mad-Eye Moody. He was sort of a little gruff character still, but kept being weird. He was. Um, so let's see. Then there, we get another uh, scene change, and they're leaving herbology class on Monday. And because Harry is a nerd, um, he's annoyed that everyone else loves sports so much because apparently sports had happened at that weekend. And... Uh, Harry's internal monologue about it is just hilarious. He's like, Mm. it had seemed that after dinner last night, a girl had flown around on a broomstick for 30 minutes and then caught some sort of giant mosquito. There were other facts. I had to go back. I was like, are there giant mosquitoes flying around like like the lunchroom? Or like, I I had to read it. I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, it's just how he's thinking about Quidditch. But then Mm -hmm. like the other sentence was, there were other facts about what had happened during this match, but they were irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, it's funny because, like, Harry talks about, like, having, like, usually when someone says they have a life, it means that, like, they have, like, a social life and, mm-hmm. you know, they're busy and that sort of thing. And Harry says he had missed this exciting sporting event due to having his occlumency lesson and also having a life. And, and it's like, a life. You, you don't have a life. Um, you're not out socializing. I'm you're making. Just, you're just too cool to go to Quidditch. Shit. <laughs> Very hairy of me. I, uh, where was I? I think it was at, like, Subway yesterday or something. And uh, there was something on the TV. It was, like, some commercial or something on the TV in there, but it was, like, somehow sports related. And, 
and there were like a bunch of people had, had just walked. There was a sudden rush. I'm like, oh, is there like a football game or something going on today? I'm like, oh, wait, Super Bowl. So I'm like, oh, yeah, there was a Super Bowl. So that's how like. I'm usually I'm, out of touch I'm on those also things, too. I, I don't remember which team won. All I know, oh, wait, I think it was the Kansas City Chiefs. And I only know that because the president said congratulations to the state of Kansas, oh, yes. even though it was Kansas City, Missouri, and he doesn't know what state Kansas is in or Kansas City is in. But It's the uh, city of Missouri. Yeah. So that's the only reason that I knew which, which team won is because I saw a joke about it on SNL last night. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the, then Harry and Hermione are, are both annoyed because it turns out that Quidditch points d- dump directly into the, the house points system. I didn't remember. Is that a real thing? I don't remember either. I mean, a real thing. None of this is a maybe. real thing. But yeah, I couldn't. Re- I was. I remember reading it and being surprised. I'm like, oh, and then trying to play like, oh, that would be like a big deal. I think Even it is because I remember like they would, they would get surges towards house points depending on who won the game. Yeah, I think so. I think it is the same thing. Yeah, it was like I mean the house points thing in the original books was always just this weird like at the end because it was always like oh they're not anywhere near winning and then suddenly Dumbledore like empties a bag of house points on them and, and they win in the end you're like and win what like it was like like every single year some arbitrary thing happens and they win the house something something yeah it's not really clear to me like the original. what like do you get bragging rights like it'd be cool if it came with a cash prize but it doesn't even yeah. come with that it sounds like, like it's just very bragging yeah it was always very weird and because it was it seemed like it was repeatedly always just this very arbitrary like oh you're behind by 150 points and Dumbledore decides to award you because he likes the color of your shoes 151 points yeah it the there's weird. there's the fun little meme about like where it's just Dumbledore like just throwing points at Gryffindor and He's like even at the end. He's like, "Fuck Slytherin." Ten points to Gryffindor. Ten points. To, <laughs> ten points to, to Headmaster. Um, <laughs> I'll see if I can find that. But um, yeah, I don't. I just I remember being that, reading that and being surprised by it. But I, yeah, I don't think it was the original because I want to say like my memory of the of the books was that you know that they the points at the end of the year was in the you know, like low hundreds range, um, which like if Quidditch points counted, they'd be a lot higher than that. That's a good point. So. Yeah, who knows? But that works well for this whole, like, uh, well, yeah, and then later he's like, and Snape points out to him, he's like, the reason that uh, Quidditch points count is because that's the only way to get most of the students to give a shit about house points. Um, or, Quidditch, yeah, house points. Yeah, which I actually uh, which was like. Which is like a totally awesome, I'm like, yeah, you know, that totally makes sense. Yeah, and I, there's also just a fun little moment right before that where Harry and Hermione are discussing killing the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. And I love the moment where Hermione double checks with Harry that he understands that killing people is wrong. And then he's like, yes. And she's like, okay, good. Then I think we should start with Cho Chang. And, <laughs> and then Snape comes up and he's like, oh, two students plotting murder. How shocking. Um, and then I love his introduction here, too. It comes in and it's like, um, from around a nearby corner, strolled a man in lightly spotted robes, his greasy hair falling long and unkempt about his shoulders. Deadly anger seemed to radiate out from him, filling the hallway with improperly mixed potions and accidental falls and people dying in bed of what the R's would have ruled to be natural causes. And he just has like this air of, of death mm-hmm. about him that I think is, is kind of cool. I oh. think uh, maybe just like from the originals or what like I've always had, it's always been a disconnect when I've seen Snape described as like greasy, like greasy hair or whatever. Something about like that persona doesn't work as like, I mean, definitely nasty, but like the like, I don't know, like I always had a uh, trouble picturing Snape as like disheveled and greet. Like he wasn't like nasty little, you know, troll dude. He was somehow like a more, you know, 
stick up his butt kind of threatening like a like, like a lucius malfoy style yeah a little yeah. bit not quite so not like like suave julian sands kind of vibe but just like more like put together like his you know desk drawers very neatly organized kind of kind of thing um so every time he's like described that way i'm like oh yeah that's how he's supposed to be like, that's a really good job of how he describes him though um especially because i think he like plays up the whole like assassin motion kind of thing more than i remember that from the originals. And maybe it's also just like the movie Snape um, was kind of, not that he was like super put together or anything, but he wasn't like nasty looking Snape. He was much less nasty looking than, than he's actually, actually described in the books. So yeah. that was always kind of a disconnect for me. I think because the, like the dirty greasy guy doesn't fit with the kind of bad guy Snape was. It certainly at least doesn't fit with what we all yeah. picture now as Alan Rickman. Right. So yeah, um, yeah, maybe, maybe just because you can't make Alan Rickman. I guess I mean, could have made Alan Rickman. I mean, Alan Rickman just, just sort of became the gold standard for Snape. So. Yeah, I think that this tries to, to make him a little bit different. Yeah. Or like at least. A, I like how it's described here. Distinct. Cool. But yeah, they like the this like swirling cloak as he jumps in is kind of very cool description. Yeah. He does like this and Quirrell, he, he does a really good job of turning these characters a lot more threatening than they were originally. Yeah, Snape was so. just the evil potions master in the yeah. other books until like book six or seven when he finally got some depth. And mm-hmm. in this one, he he actually has some like uh, character to him. But speaking yeah. of character, there's this there's this line that I love that mm-hmm. Bradford Snape shows up without thinking at all. Harry steps in front of Hermione, and then there's this intake of breath from behind him. And a moment later, Her- Hermione brushes past and steps in front of him, and she's like, "Run, Harry! Bullies shouldn't have to be in danger." <laughs> That was a great line. I love that because I, as I was reading, I'm like, "Oh, really? He's doing that's like like protect the girl thing, but like for you know, the next paragraph." But so I like it was like that was my immediate thought, and then he immediately like made a joke out of it. Yeah, so, and uh, it also just another, is part of Hermione's another, character. Yeah, add another coin on the pile of reasons I like, really like the Hermione character. Yeah, she's great. She's pretty cool. Um, pretty cool. Anyway, then Snape was like, "Hey, let's go off and have a chat, Potter," and. Um, Harry's like, uh, okay, I guess. And um, <laughs> he's, he says like to Hermione, he's like, can I kind of just sort of go off and follow him and let you work out what I should have said to make sure you're not all worried and offended? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, sorry, <laughs> bye. Sorry. And then, yeah, this is where they have the exchange about like, yeah. why are you planning to murder Cho Chang? And Harry's like, I don't suppose you could explain in your capacity as an official of the Hogwarts school system why catching a golden mosquito is termed, deemed an academic achievement uh, worthy of 150 house points. And then th- this line's kind of fun because it, it, well, I guess I'll read it and you let me know what you think, where mm-hmm. Snape says, Dear me, and I thought you were supposed to be perceptive. Are you truly so incapable of understanding your classmates, Potter, or do you dislike them too much to try? If Quidditch scores did not count towards the house cup, then none, then none of them would be, there'd be no house cup at all. Like, no one would care. It'd be merely an obscure contest for students like you and Hermione Granger. And It was a shockingly good answer. Yeah, but I, I liked I liked Snape's thing. It's like this isn't a hard problem. Like, have you even tried to think about like this from your, from your <laughs> fellow students' perspective? Like, or do you just not care enough about them to try? Um, it seems yeah, to show I, that. And again, and it works. It works here, but it's. it's I think that's why. I, like I keep saying, like why this stuff winds me up is because I identify uncomfortably closely with it. But I think because Snape, like they just all had this bonding moment, sort of separately, but still bonding moment with between. Snape and Harry and Hermione in the way that they hate sports. Um, but like having Snape give them yet an even better answer of what they kind of all were already feeling sort of like lets you then see it as the like, again, like condescending, really unattractive kind of we're better than you 
um, thing about it. I think, and I think here it was on purpose, sort of like, yeah, let me parrot back the thing you said in exactly the way you were thinking it, but as you know, evil Slytherin, Slytherin kind of way to to put it. Um, so, but I, but and then also like the uncomfortable voice, like as you say, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh wait, I too because I'm totally I'm totally the same guy. Like, yeah. it's it's funny. It's like yeah, I'm get him. Oh wait, I'm him too. <laughs> oh. Oh. There's also there's also the fun moment too where Harry like he's trying to reflect about like he's like well that's a surprisingly good answer and I guess like he has been reading a student's minds and all the the book had said that a, a successful legitimacy was rare um, because almost no one had enough mental discipline. And then Harry's like, wait, mental discipline? You know, this, yeah, this, this is the guy who collected stories like about him, like, losing his temper and blowing up at kids. And But this is also the same guy who, when Harry had spoken to the Dark Lord still being alive, had responded instantly and perfectly, reacting in precisely the way that someone completely ignorant would react. And the man stalked about Hogwarts, like, with the air of an assassin radiating danger, which is not what a real assassin would do. A real assassin would look like a meek little accountant until they killed you. I like that line. And then Harry noticed that he was confused, and his threat estimate of the ho- of the head of House Slytherin shot up astronomically, which I like a lot because like Harry's sitting there like you know trying to puzzle this out, and then he realizes how confusing it is, and he's like, "Wait a minute!" Like, yeah, I really, it seems this like he's deliberately really good, walking around trying to confuse people. Yeah, that makes this him, is a really good yeah really good scene because like it was really compact. It was just in these like few paragraphs where he just like dumped a huge pile of implications. Uh, into it and now like thinking about everything that Snape has done up to this point and the things that Snape may be about to do like there is we realize there's a whole lot going on here that we've like been not aware of it's like oh if he's because that means like oh he's probably a perfect Aquamans and maybe a perfect Legilimens and his whole you know uh, flamboyantly evil thing is entirely an act Um, so it like puts up like oh harry said his threat level went up astronomically it's like oh there's like he's playing eighth dimensional chess um <laughs> like planning out all of these levels of because like oh if he is this good at that then this whole disheveled thing has got to be an act and oh, holy shit if it is an act it's a really good act yeah um, it's so it was awesome. really cool and it, i really like it was really well done because it, like all of that mental gymnastics i went through is like all happened very very quickly and you're like oh wait oh shit oh so it was pretty cool it actually reminds me a lot of the way like when you did the reveal uh last time about um quarrel murdering rita skeeter um that is another one of those like oh that just suddenly like reset the meaning of a whole bunch of stuff all at the same time like like you like you packed a whole bunch of of things with broad implications into one thing and then completely like shot them off in another direction. So this is kind of another little thing like that. It was really well done. I liked it. Nice. Yeah. I liked it too. And um, yeah, then Snape goes on to explain that they're having this little chat now since Harry's taking Aquamancy lessons and then Harry's like, Oh, okay. So this is like real shit. And um, then like he's, he's trying to like, so Snape says basically, um, you know, don't, don't talk to anyone about what we're, we're about to talk about. Uh, so far as the school is concerned, we're discussing potions homework, but whether or not they believe that is unimportant. So far as Dumbledore and McGonagall are concerned, I'm violating Draco's confidences in me, and neither of us think it's proper to speak of further of the particulars. And then you pulled out the quote right <laughs> after that. Harry's brain tried to calculate the ramifications and implications of this and ran out of swap space. Nerd joke. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious did. how many people... Uh, I never know with like nerd stuff, like to what extent like regular people get them. I mean, I, I don't know if like swap space is is like whether you, you get it tech, on a technical technical level or like you, you can at least understand what he's trying to get yeah. across whether or not you're a nerd or not 
or that 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 species of nerd. Um, where it's well, like, that's what oh, I know. At least like a lot of people would have no idea what that meant. Yeah. So I think that, but it works enough to where it's Most like people are listening to us and are still confused. Yeah. We're, we're, I mean, <laughs> but even if we don't, you know, even if without a technical understanding of swap space and that sort of stuff, you're like, okay, well, Harry's trying to think all this through and then realizes that it's very confusing. And that's basically what mm-hmm. it's getting across. And so your comment was lol. And my, pro- my comment was r slash programmer humor. Um, <laughs> I think it's again like I like he does these little these these things you would only do in fan fiction. Um, drop those little things in there because they're funny when they put them in. Totally. Like that wouldn't like if you had to run that by like a an actual paid editor at some big ass publisher, they're like they're not gonna let you keep that. Yeah, it's the nice thing of being able to publish for free online. Mm-hmm. All right, so so what does Snape want to talk with Harry about? What's what's going on here? Yeah, this was interesting. Um, so he talks about, especially if we start like tossing around names we all recognize. So, because I don't think Seth Lestrange uh, is an original uh, character, but we know the name Lestrange. Um, but so Snape says to Harry that there is a there is a Slytherin being bullied, um, and because of his uh, newly inconvenient um, promise to not abuse students any longer, uh, he can't abuse the bullies back to get it to stop. Um, so Snape is, this, this whole interaction is pretty interesting. Um, well, really so quick, actually, ex- I didn't pick up on that. I, that it was because of his restrained capacity to be an abusive prick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like super, I mean, it was, I think it was something he just kind of tossed as a, but, but I, I think it was actually related in that he was saying that because he's not allowed to basically be, you know, super mean to the students anymore, he can't protect this Slytherin student from being bullied the way he normally would have. Interesting. Which I imagine would have been to like do some mean shit to the, um, to the Gryffindor bullies. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. I, I was going to ask you what you thought that was. Cause I think all, all, Sla- all Snape says is that he's constrained in his ability to deal with it. That's, that's said, what I took that to mean. Yeah. That, that, I think that makes sense. Although that said, I think these bullies are in their sixth year, which puts them above the age limit where he's allowed to be abusive. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I guess maybe, my my read on it is that he's he's constrained in his ability to deal with it because he hasn't observed it directly, um, and that he's only gotten it from reading the Gryffindor's minds, maybe. But even then, too, all he'd have mm-hmm. to do is show up himself and be like, "All right, you get detention, Mayor." But yeah. maybe that wouldn't really solve the problem. I'm not really sure. But well, yeah, um, I imagine. I mean, I never like experienced serious bullying, but I imagine like some teacher coming in and throwing around thunderbolts isn't. Uh, it just causes the bullying to happen later. Yeah, it doesn't help. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll let you so, keep going. But yeah, so he asked, so Snape asks, so he talks about, he says it's Seth Lestrange and he's, um, and I think some of this has been like changed. He says, so Lesath, Les, I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that name. Lesath, Lesath. I think Lesath. Um, the son of Bellatrix Black, which was, I believe, not her uh, name. So that's Bellatrix Lestrange. Bellatrix, um, her name was Bellatrix Black in the Was books. it? And then we just She, she, she married into the Black family. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, was she married in the book? Uh, I think she was. I think she was. She was the sister to um, what's her name to Mrs. Malfoy, uh, Narcissa Malfoy. No, maybe there. Maybe was Narcissa sister, was uh, was a Lestrange before she married the Malfoys. I, I remember there was this yeah, whole family tree in like the third or fourth book yeah. that we get to see. But um, yeah. and they were cousins with the like Sirius and Bellatrix were cousins. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I mean, it's not. It's not super important. But I, I don't know. I kind of liked it because to me, at least, it felt like sort of like where like these are all names you know, but we're gonna kind of like. Toss them in a blender. Um, come on, I don't know. I, I kind of like that. It was sort of a hey, we're in an alternate universe thing. Totally. Um, especially like this. So there's this kid um, that you know is you know heir to all of the, to this whole mess, 
and he's yet another Slytherin, which like also totally makes sense. Like that would happen. There's the other parts of this extended clan of assholes, um, and they're going to have assholes in training in Slytherin. Um, so, but I so I know. So, what's the back? The backstory is that oh yeah, so he's Bellatrix's son. Yeah, see, I don't think she had any kids in the in the originals. Anyway, um, uh, and so the Gryffindors know that because uh, he is Bellatrix's son, that that means his parents were responsible for torturing into insanity uh, Neville's parents, um, and that now his um, that Bellatrix and who is well, yes, yeah, so I'm not sure, but so that his parents are both in Azkaban being tortured by Dementors as punishment for having tortured the Longbottoms. Um, and so the Gryffindors, knowing then who Lysath is, are just like bullying and be like, oh, you're an evil Death Eater, blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't know at this point if Snape's talking to him, um, any of the details of, of what's been going on, just that he's that he's being bullied and that's why. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and so, and Harry, then they get, so there's, there's that part. We get, we get that set up. Um, is that... No, we don't come back later to the, the other interaction with Snape until after the bullying scene. Um, but they do go back and forth about where Harry's... Harry as, as quote, good guy um, and Snape as bad guy. That um, And I think you pulled the quote. It was, that was the trouble with other people knowing you were a good guy. Even if you knew they knew, you still couldn't ignore the bait. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think, it's, I, I think that was like... Um, like that wasn't just sort of like a, a funny line to tell stuff. I think he actually, you know, was was wanting to talk about that, where um, like that's part of what Harry's kind of trying to work through, like in trying to not become uh, the Dark Lord, is like kind of the implications of you know what it what being quote good or whatever that means for him is, and some of that is that like okay, that's going to kind of leave him open to certain kind of vulnerabilities because your your behavior is constrained in a predictable way. Yeah, I mean, and Harry doesn't like bullies, but you're right. Like that's that's the thing. You're like, all right, I guess I'm since I'm a good guy. Yeah, then people will know that, yeah. and they can when they ask me to, to stop bad things, I kind of have to. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so Harry's you know model of himself is as a good person, so he's yeah. yeah, like you said, it opens him up to being constrained in that way. Um, and so yeah, I guess uh, Snape is basically like yeah, I or whatever. There, the end of the conversation is that. All right, so he thinks an inter- intervention by the boy who lived might prove effective, and Snape's like, "Yeah, basically." So uh, mm-hmm. he tells them where the Gryffindors are planning their next little game, and little game. then we get kind of like a third-person POV where it's describing the situation. Um, yeah, and I think we're supposed to think that this is Harry talking. Um, there have been a few. I don't know if I was just like not caffeinated enough while I was reading. There's been a few times in these chapters where I was like, "Wait, what?" Like I was misunderstanding what was happening, and I had to go back and read it again. I took it sort of um, just like bird's eye view where yeah. like, or narrator's point of view with, you know, without a point of, without a perspective. And yeah. like, there was just the whole, um, like, if you think it was odd, cause like it describes like the weird shape of the hallway that they're in or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you, you know, if you thought there's anything about, if you thought that there, that there was anything odd about this, you haven't been in Hogwarts very long. And then it describes <laughs> that there's four boys in red trimmed robes laughing and a boy in a green trimmed robe screaming and grabbing frantically under the edge of the open window um, as the boys make make us though to push him out, and it's just a joke, of course. And besides, a fall from that height wouldn't kill a wizard. All good fun, <laughs> um, but like it's like clearly nobody feels that way, whether it's the narrator or the like. It's sarcastic, right? Yeah, it did. When I read that line, I'm like, well, wait. So does that mean Harry could fall from a greater height? Because I mean, he is a wizard, so like, because it didn't just sort of like 
you know, your brain automatically doesn't want to think like, no, well, no, he's, you know, Harry's not a wizard, but I guess he totally is, but you're a wizard, Harry. You're, you're a wizard, Harry, as, as Haggard pushes him out of window. <laughs> yeah, let me prove it. <laughs> You're I don't think that the increased robustness to physical damage was a canon thing. I think we talked about it. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. And this isn't me foreshadowing anything. I don't think it plays that big of a role in anything. It's just more like kind of to explain how Quidditch is possible. Uh, um, yeah. Well, know, I just took a, it's just being knocked a off a room with a bowling ball. How does that not kill you? Yeah. Oh, because, you know, you can take a punch if you're wizard, a wizard. Wizards are tougher. Yeah, I just thought, it, yeah, from in that scene, I read it more. It's just like a funny little, like, acknowledgement of some of the silly shit that would happen during Quidditch or anything else is sort of like yeah we know that for the sake of drama we have people falling from way too high than they normally would but yeah then it goes to uh, Neville, Neville's point of view as some it says stop it shouts a sixth boy and the, yeah, that's what I kept like, like he kept like not naming Neville and so I, and I think we were supposed to think either be like uncertain or think that that was Harry yeah certainly like, for yeah, a couple paragraphs like, I think we're supposed yeah. to think that yeah. and then yeah it turns out that it's uh it's um, well, I guess yeah, for like a paragraph because it says, yeah. uh, "Do you know who this is?" And the sixth boy says, "That's Lasatha Strange, and he didn't do anything to my parents. He was five years old." Um, so that that tells me that, or, you know, that tells us that it's Neville, um, yeah. who's apparently super compassionate and awesome, which I love. Like, so it seems like he and Harry had set this up. Like, all right, hey uh, Neville, I I learned through whatever that these bullies are going to be bullying Lasatha Strange. You know mm-hmm. at whatever 3 15 p.m at this corridor you want to help me show him what's what and neville isn't like no fuck that kid his mom tortured my parents he's like yeah totally you know that he was a he was a kid it's not like he was responsible yeah Um, and i can he also just felt like we get to be in neville's head for this that neville's also just scared shitless uh, which i thought was cool because it like helps with the like that like his sort of humble empathy thing where um, like he's doing, he's doing this because he thinks it's the right thing to do, but it's also like, he's really not cool with it. Um, and he's freaking out and he talks about like, Oh, if Harry doesn't show up to like help me here, this is the last time I trust anybody about anything. Um, so I like that. I like, like we, he wasn't just being this like sort of gloriously, you know, moral kid. He was this like, Oh shit, I'm just totally scared that I'm having to do this. Yeah. That worked. I, and I, it does speak to that kind of like, um, I don't know that that core of courage in, in Neville where like he has the line that because like the Gryffindors like once he says hey you should knock it off and they're like well who do you think you are and he they're like well I think he's a traitor and you know because the, the Gryffindors just like want to bully somebody I guess because they're dicks I think These my guys notes, are so like Scooby Doo yeah my my notes <laughs> said because dicks gonna be dicks um, and then Sweet Neville delay. says these are like the Cobra Kai faction of Gryffindor. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't be blonde putting I think it's it's <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be like a deliberate mark against Gryffindor House or just showing that like, yeah, everyone can be assholes or something. But in any case, it shows uh, Neville, his his line was, um, so that's how it is for you. Neville said, amazed at how steady his own voice was. It doesn't matter to you if it's Lesotho Strange or Neville Longbottom. Um, like so that that's that's what I like about it is yeah clearly Neville's scared shitless but he still is um you know he he still cares yeah uh, and, and he, as he will like, still do it yeah and as sort of like the rules are changing out from underneath the bullies they keep just like trying like does a good job of like showing like it doesn't kind of they just want to bully somebody and are gonna like back into whatever explanation they need in order to do that because it's like oh yeah well then. If you're a friend of Lasoth, then you're a bad guy too, and so that's why we're going to beat you up now. 
Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's sort of like shows how kind of pointlessly, you know, these shallow motivations behind it that like they don't really give a shit about um, the long bottoms being have, being driven insane. They just you know have, they see a victim. Exactly. No, that's that's. Ex- I think that's exactly what it's going for. And yeah. Uh, yeah so then Neville uh, summons Harry Potter um, by closing his eyes and inciting this incantation, and <laughs> uh, says, "You know, I summon you by the debt that you owe me. I open the way for you, um, or something like that." Then he snaps his fingers, and and the Gryffindors are like, "Was he supposed to step around the oh, corner or something?" <laughs> <laughs> I do, I remember as this was happening, I'm like, wait a minute, he doesn't have the time turn anymore. Like, how is he gonna like pull off this magic shit again? Like, so I'm like, oh yeah, he has other other ways to be sneaky. In his Batman utility belt, I mean his <laughs> his mokeskin patch. Um, then I like where yeah. So then Harry is leaning up against the window by the wall at the dead end of the hallway where nobody could possibly have gotten to without being seen, mm-hmm. and. Then there's this line. It's like, if watching people scream always felt this good, Neville could sort of understand how people became bullies. Um, <laughs> and then Harry's kind of flexing, like that he knows a lot. He knows that he knows the bullies' names. He knows that he was making out with some girl mm-hmm. earlier. Um, he knows that Which is creepy. Uh, the bully doesn't that he, that he knows that the bully doesn't know of anything that Lasoth has ever done that's actually like bad. He's just picking on him for having the wrong parents. Mm-hmm. And the ringleader bully is like, but he's a little strange. And Harry says, he's a boy who lost his parents, which is the same line that Neville gave. Cause I mean, yeah. it's actually kind of like drives this home. I, I don't know if we ever get a full count, but a lot of, uh, a lot of people lost parents in the wizarding war. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we've got two people here in the same year with like two dead parents or, you know, mm-hmm. two dead, two basically dead parents, um, lost just, you know, in the, in the whole yeah. Voldemort, fiasco um so basically harry's like hey you know uh how about you quit fucking with him um or i'll know if you don't and it's like uh he does this like it it it, i don't know for me it kind of plays both ways where it's like oh yeah sure harry's super full of himself and whatever but he is opening himself up to you know the actual physical threat of violence where he's like hey you know what I, so like it shows him raise his fingers prepared to snap and then Harry says you know this is the part where I snap my fingers and it become part of some hilariously amusing story that will be told with much nervous, nervous laughter at dinner tonight <laughs> but the thing is people I trust keep telling me not to do that Professor McGonagall told me I was taking the easy way out and Professor Quirrell says I need, I need to learn how to lose so you remember that story how I got beat up by older Slytherins we could do that you could bully me for a while and I could let you only remember that part at the end where I tell my many, many friends inside the school not to do anything about it? This time we'll skip that part. So go ahead. Bully me. And he steps forward with his arms open invitation. And, like, part of that, in my mind, is like, okay, yeah, look at this arrogant little kid. But at the same time, too, like, you know, one of the guys could have run up and punched him in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never invited being hit in the face like that. Um, but I, I imagine that it would take some balls, so... He still gets a, I think he still gets a star from me for that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just like, I'm, I'm in a not at all charitable mood with Harry this time around. But like, because this one totally, it it didn't, part of it was that because the, the bullies were kind of so cartoonishly drawn and then the kind of super dramatic way that this all played out with Harry, that there was again, there was this weird like smart kid condescension vibe behind the whole thing. Oh, definitely. Was, again, like, yeah, and it was sort of like, like, so to some extent, this was cool in in 
rescuing uh, Lasoth, but um, but again, it was like, oh, this is like just like really unattractive behavior because like behind all of that is this sense of like, oh, I am so much better than you because I'm smart, um, and and because it like because the way he like knocks them down is through like being clever and through the power of his mind, um, and I don't know, it's just it like it's it's got like an, an ugliness behind it. I I think I can see that. I, I I think for me, like it all has this kind of like bizarre and convoluted. Like you, I forget what word you used, but you know, like so dramatically set up and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's fun that it's explicit and that it's dramatically set up to be like this because they planned it out in advance. Which is like yeah. sort of how all, all of Harry's like badass mythology, uh, like legend is building about himself. Like he he's not really super awesome. I mean he well he he thinks he is, but he's. He, I mean, any any kind of is, you know, he's a protagonist, whatever. But mm. he, like, all of his stuff that he's done is just like, you know, clever pranks and cheating, right? Um, the whole, you know, yeah. This, thing I, with it the, must just be like the way I'm like, just like the vibe I'm getting from it is like, like there's no self-deprecating part to that. Um, which I mean, there totally could be. I guess I'm just I, it keeps like fitting this like slash r slash I am very smart. We we quote read it a lot, um, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. There's just like this vibe behind it of kind of this this ugly kind of insecurity based arrogance. There's also a subreddit called "I Am Very Badass," which I think fits this too. Yeah. Um, but that said, I you know we can take it as a moment for Harry and Neville. Like that was the thing too is all all Snape did was tell him where this was and ask Harry to intervene. Mm-hmm. You know, Harry reaching out to Neville and saying, "Do you want to help?" Um, I think that's kind of cool. And they share at some point it says like they share condescending smiles with each other, um, him and Neville. But like. The fact that Harry went off to recruit him, or not recruit him, but I guess ask if he wanted to participate, I think that was kind of nice and cool. Like, he, he didn't have mm-hmm. to uh, make, you know, so this is an opportunity to, um, like, show the bullies up by showing that, you know, the person that they're victimizing, um, they're not actually doing this on behalf of anybody. They're doing this for themselves. Yeah. And it gets, gives Neville a chance to be badass. But then Neville, like, you know, kind of won't accept it. He's like, well, thanks for letting me pretend to be badass with you. And Harry's like, oh, give me a break. Um, yeah, and like Neville knows that he's lying, or just like trying saying it, but so like Neville knows that Harry's just saying that, doesn't really think it, but like appreciates that Harry would just say it. Yeah, but so, then too, we whether Neville agrees with it or not, he did have some badass here. I mean, he yeah. we talked about it. He was scared, but he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all the bullies run off, um, and then they're like, you know, how you doing? Or no, Neville says, how are you doing, Lestrange? Um, and it's. It's interesting. I I like this interaction with Lasoth a lot. Um, yeah, uh, yeah because it like it makes it complicated because he doesn't come out being this like oh thank you for whatever like he turns back into a racist dick. Well, he he, yeah, the racist bit of it too. But there's also I guess I got to give a shout out as well to the voice actor who played him. Like so, it describes Lasoth's voice, voice as like high and shaking and kind of like shouting, mm-hmm. and the voice actor in the audiobook did a great job of portraying that. But he's like, you know, you think how it is, or you think you know how it is. My parents are in Azkaban. I try not to think about it, and they always remind me about how great that they think it is that mother's in there with the Dementors sucking away her life. I wish I was like you. At least your parents loved you, and you get to see them. I wish I was like Harry Potter. At least his parents aren't hurting. My parents are always hurting, every second, every day. And they're like, and Harry and Neville are kind of like, oh, shit. And they exchange horrified looks. Yeah. And then there's this bit where... Lasoth flung himself at the floor in front of Harry Potter and touched his forehead to the ground and says, "Just totally weird. It was cool. It was, it, it was, it, that was weird. It, it was weird. I I don't know exactly w- what 
books Lestat has been reading that he thinks this is the way to ask for help. But. Well, I mean, it reminded, like, it's, it reminded me a lot of like the way that Lucius would uh, suck up to Voldemort. Like it's a very like like abusive power kind of vibe between people. You know, everybody's sucking up the other people the way Darth Vader calls the Emperor my master. Like a whole super like, yeah, very adversarial and yeah. Yeah. And, and it was weird. Like, it was bizarre. Like, oh, he's, like, down on his knees begging. He's like, okay, this is really odd behavior. And it sort of, like, showed, like, okay, that they're all just, like, really fucked up people over there. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, in Lasalle's defense, it seems like he had a pretty rough childhood. But, yeah. Um, yeah, like, he doesn't say, hey, Harry, thanks, that was awesome. By the way, since you're awesome and nice, can you help my parents? Um, he just, he goes straight to begging with his forehead yeah. on the ground, calling him Lord, says, I'll serve you to the day I die. Like, please get my parents out of Azkaban and... Uh, Harry's voice is breaking and he's like I, I can't really do things like that it's all stupid tricks and LaSalle's like it's not I saw it the stories are true you can you mm-hmm. can snap your fingers and get them out of there and Harry's like no I, I set this whole thing up with Neville we planned it in advance you can ask him and um, then that's when LaSalle is like you son of a mudblood you could get her out but you won't I got down on my knees and begged and you still won't help I should have known you're the boy who lived you think she belongs there and Harry's like, it's not a question of what I want. I don't have the power to do that. And then uh, that's when Lasoth gets up, spits at the floor in front of Harry and walks away and then runs as he gets around the corner and they can hear him crying. Um, mm. And then it's yeah, just... This whole, you know, like, this whole thing was just a big fucking sloppy mess. It was good how, how that was done because like not only he calls him a mud, son of a mudblood, spits, at, you know, he's just been super weird begging and on his knees in front of him and then son of a mudblood spits run away but then he's also crying uh so it's like hard for us mentally to stick this kid in any one hole um to figure out how to feel about it so this the, the whole this whole thing is just a one big fucked up mess which is i mean it's cool how that it's well done how how it's a fucked up mess and and it's well done how it's surprising like he yeah. doesn't get up and say thanks i appreciate it and like they all live mm-hmm. happily ever after like it has the exact kind of it, it goes a completely different direction with it yeah. which is is fun to be surprised that way um and then uh harry has his line which speaks to his i don't know what you call it superhero level of uh responsibility slash you know maybe a superhero complex which i can kind of identify with um where harry or neville's like you really you actually feel bad about not not being able to help his mom don't you and he's like no he's like yes uh he's like you, re- you realize that's ridiculous right and he's like i am aware of that um and he's like do you have to do anything anyone asks you and he's like do no feel guilty about not doing yes um and then he pulled out the line about where uh neville says like where neville's explaining how bad bellatrix black was uh yeah i can't i can't remember the line that led up to it but base but so but neville is um, saying why, um, uh, why Bellatrix? He's talking, but it, but he's basically saying like, oh, why, why they are not um, as bad, um, and why he doesn't have it as bad as as Lasoth does. And he says, no, you don't. She had a reason for doing that, and my parents were both horrors. It's not even close to the worst thing she's ever done. Neville's voice was shaking. Um, what that when I read that, I mean, and we're supposed it was supposed to be us like showing you know, a level of empathy towards, um, Lasalle's parents, but it, it hit again as like weirdly like stilted, like it was a very left brain cerebral explanation of the 
ethics of the situation when I think what we were supposed to be getting here was this was supposed to be like a demonstration of Neville's kind of warm side, that this is supposed to be us seeing that like Neville is just a more forgiving person um, and his willingness to forgive even the people that, you know, tortured his parents is like this super admirable quality about, about Neville. And that's like his, that's the value Neville brings to the world. Um, but as I read it, it was a very hairy sounding uh, train of thought as to why they are, you know, deserving of some empathy. Uh, and I, that it was at, like that moment that I thought like, and this again, where I keep going back and forth of not knowing how much of this stuff is on purpose. Like this fell into the like, oh, I don't think it's on purpose side because this was a very like, I don't get how people are wired kind of way of looking at it, but it wasn't coming from the guy that we are theoretically supposed to be seeing as the person who's working through figuring out how people are wired. Um, Instead of this being sort of Neville just kind of coming to this like realization of like, you know what, I don't want to hate them or punish their kid uh, because that's just a shitty thing to do and I don't want to be a shitty person. He's instead like walking through this kind of more cerebral like justification of like kind of balancing out like, okay, this behavior was worse than that behavior and because they had a reason and these other people didn't have a reason. So it's very sort of like, like unemotional uh, reasoning for why they deserve forgiveness. Um, when I think we were supposed to be seeing here is like Neville's just being a good guy side, which wouldn't be so thought out. It would kind of be more of a gut reaction. And, and what that it wasn't so much that this that this particular you know instance of it was was particularly pronounced, but what what caught me about it was like, oh, this is coming from Neville. And so for Neville to be doing this, this is kind of more of a reflection of this is just how Yudkowsky thinks the world works. And so this is one of the, and this is where I keep going going into the the I think this is my my sort of read of how this is all working is this is a self aware thing that Yudkowsky is talking about that this stuff Harry is working through is on purpose and this like him being a dick you've dropped enough hints with me that like his being a dick is not a coincidence that it's on purpose and that so it is a thing he's working through and even a lot of the reasons. Um, for that, Yudkowsky is aware of and is talking directly to us about it. But then there's also these times where he's still of that mindset. And I think this, to me, seemed like a way that it showed, like, like in, at least in this sense, Neville's thoughts and actions about it, because they're not hairy, and they're from a character who's very much not supposed to be like that, are then, to the extent that they, like, go into that, like, cerebral way of looking at the kind of ethics and emotions and, and empathy are kind of showing like, oh, this is like the way this universe is wired, um, showing like, okay, this is how Yudkowsky just thinks people work. Um, and so that's why I keep thinking like this is, it's, um, he is aware of these things and he's talking and he's like taking us on that journey through through Harry um, working on those things in himself. But I think at the same time, still sort of, in that mental state where those things still come out. And I, like, I don't want to say that in a way like, like, and that's me too. And again, why like this stuff winds me up is, um, you know, all, especially these particular things are, are also things that, that are hard for me. Um, and so it's like really then hard to see like, you know, right in your face. Um, but so, yeah, it's sort of been like, Oh, this is just a sign that like that understand like a gut level understanding of like what are other people's motivations like there's something off here like this should have been if we were going to go with the theory of like oh this is all a plan and part of the story that's being told this is a way of looking at it that should have come from harry and not from neville so that was a long explanation of that uh, i think i hear what you're saying i think the 
like the setup for it though was a little different. Harry or Neville wasn't justifying Bellatrix's behavior. He was he was trying to convince Harry that like, look, it it would be a bad idea to let Bellatrix out even if you could, because she was like the most evil person in the entire world before she went to Azkaban. Like she for, she tortured my parents into insanity because she wanted to find out what happened to the Dark Lord. And Harry's like, yeah, I know, I get that. And he's like, no, you don't get that. She had a reason for doing that, but that's not even close to the worst thing that she's ever done. So, like, I think what what Neville's trying to do isn't, like, saying, I, I can forgive, uh, or I can be nice to Lissoth because her, his mom had a reason for, for torturing my parents to death or into insanity. I think he's trying to convince Harry that, like, no, she's actually a really, really bad person, and letting her out would be a really bad, bad idea. And it's not, it's not just about, like, well, you know, I, it's... Uh, well, so I mean, if that's if that's how you read it, then what does he mean when he says she had a reason for doing that, and my parents were both ors? What what does that mean? If he's, I think I think he's saying that the terrible thing that let that Bellatrix Black did to me and my family personally, that wasn't even the worst that she did. She did stuff way worse than that, and what she did to me and my family is already ba- is unforgivable. Like, so I don't think Neville forgives Bellatrix Black. I think he forgives. Yeah, so you heard you heard it as like a trying to emphasize how bad she is that that's yeah that's i read I it more, as more of him like trying to um kind of like the way with what harry did in talking about draco's like oh what i did to draco was much worse that this is sort of neville doing the same thing with like oh what's happening and it, because and it was and it struck me as, as like odd that that what he was trying to say was oh no um Lesoth is going through something as bad or maybe worse than than like what is being done to Lasoth's parents is worse than um, what uh, Bellatrix did to my parents. Like, oh, she quote had a reason, and they were orrors coming after her. I, Which I, I, I don't, yeah, it was, it was weird. I mean, and even like in that, you're like, oh, that's kind of a crap reason. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't read it that way. I kind of read it like like he's explaining how bad the Joker is, and so mm-hmm. like so then the you know you're explaining to somebody, oh no, the Joker is this terrible bad guy. It's like yeah, I get it. He killed these cops. It's like no, he killed those cops because they got in his way. I'm saying he's bad. Yeah. Not just because of that, but because of all the people he tortures for fun. Um, I sort of took it that way, hmm. um, and I've got the Joker but on does my he mind. Talk, yeah, I guess. Huh? Yeah, I don't remember it being. I, I don't uh, know if it's quite yeah. explicit that way. I, that's that's how I read it. Um, may, you know, like they don't get around to really finishing that conversation. Yeah, um, yeah and I, again, this is like be something that like jumped out. It didn't seem like it jumped out at me because it was supposed to jump out. Um, so there may not have been a lot of context around it. Yeah. Either, either way, no, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Harry says that he feels guilty about not being God and being able to solve everyone's problems all the time. So, and, <laughs> and then Neville's like, "That doesn't sound good." And Harry says, "I understand. I have a problem, and I know it. And I know what I need to do to solve it. I'm working on it. All right." Uh, I like this, like, but uh, yeah, this this last little bit where Harry's like, you know, acknowledging his shortcomings. Well, I don't know. Um, if just but, like the very convincing way of of him being like really not happy about it. Yeah, admitting to it, but really not being happy about it, and not even really being very happy about how he's dealing with it. Yeah, and then I don't know if you'll like how Harry's. So Harry says that he needs to solve his problem, and I don't know if you'll like how Harry. Uh, so Harry says, "I know what I need to do to solve that problem," um, and his, his the solution obviously was to hurry up and become God. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean yeah, you're clearly like not not supposed to like. I I think I read that one as like. Harry's not taking that one seriously. I mean, obviously he didn't literally mean it, but um, and I read that at least as like him lumping that in the in the same kind of knowledge of his being, you know, expecting overly much of himself. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think he he struggles with like the, the level of like expecting too much of himself, but also wanting to live up to those expectations. Yeah. And, and I think, and this is, and I think in a way that he's, that maybe not Harry's aware of, but the this universe and Yudkowsky is aware of, is like a, aware of the connection between that inflated sense of responsibility and inflated sense of self, like that fucked up, like the, the way you mind fuck yourself about all of your own shortcomings is tied to the arrogance of thinking you're capable of doing, doing it all. Um, so, and I like that part cause it, it is sort of like a, like an acknowledgement, like a, a messy acknowledgement of the, um, of just kind of like all of the baggage that it comes to sort of think that way about yourself in the world. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And I mean, you got to remember too that, you know, while he's weird, Harry's still an 11 year old to grow up reading comic yeah. books. So like, you know, the wanting to grow up to be Batman or Superman or something is just mm-hmm. totally in his head. So, yeah. you know, it's, not, that's the other thing with like, you know, the Batman example in particular, like. Batman could use his fortune to, you know, release his self-driving tech car technology and save 30,000 American lives every year by preventing car accidents. But yeah. instead, he puts on a suit and punches bad guys. Um, I get the feeling no, I Harry think there's more of this. I mean, this is like one of the things I start to like be able to sink your teeth into, like has got some significance to it. It's like this stuff when Harry is talking about this, his like inflated sense of like his, it all seems tied to like his not accepting in himself, not allowing himself to lose, um, taking too much responsibility for everything. Like this seems like to not being characterized as just, Oh, the way an 11 year old kid thinks, but like this to me, like sticks out as this is one of the, like, the main things we're talking about. This is going to be Harry's little personal growth journey. Uh, and that's part of the PLs. It feels like pretty personal to the author. Um, and that, that, that part I like, like he's aware of that. And that's kind of a thing he's kind of taking us along the ride. Um, for so yeah, I don't think that is just like the little kid thing. I think that's kind of being acknowledged as like that's kind of like one of his core things. Totally, I I agree. Yeah, and uh, I like those moments because those moments feel like really they feel really um, authentic. Say I I concur. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll move on. And just keep the story going. So there's another chapter break where now it's from Harry's perspective and he watched uh, Neville walk away and then Snape turned out to be there the whole time invisible. Um, and he explains that, like, yeah, I couldn't, uh, you know, risk you actually coming to harm. So, of course, I was here. And mm-hmm. um, then, of course, Snape sees that, like, oh, you had an invisibility cloak. Much is explained. And Harry's like, ah, oh, shit. Um, there's also this little funny moment about where he says, and perhaps I've been in Dumbledore's company too long, said Severus, but I cannot help but wonder if that is the cloak of invisibility. <laughs> and then Harry's mind immediately turned into someone who had never heard of the cloak of invisibility and was exactly as smart as Harry thought Severus thought Harry was. Oh, possibly, said Harry. I trust you realize the implications if it is. And Snape's voice was condescending. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you, Potter? A rather <laughs> clumsy try at fishing. And I like this little, there's a, like a parenthesis uh, background thing of where Professor Quirrell had remarked over their lunch that Harry really needed to conceal his state of mind better than putting mm-hmm. on a blank face when someone discussed a dangerous topic. And he explained about one-level deceptions, two-level deceptions, and so on. So either Severus was, in fact, modeling Harry as a one-level player, which made Severus himself level or two-level, and Harry's three-level move had been successful, or Severus was a fourth-level player and wanted Harry to think the deception had been successful. Harry, smiling, had asked Professor Quirrell what level he played at, and Professor Quirrell, also smiling, had responded, one level higher than you. <laughs> Did you, as you were reading that, were you reminded of, uh, of the Princess Bride Iocane powder thing? 
Yes. So I can clearly not choose the one in front of me. And I, the, the only difference is that in the situation, in my situation of that, or my imagining of that, Professor Kroll would be the one handing out iocane powder poisons, and he he'd be the one playing one level higher by just already being immune to it already, right? Mm-hmm. So he had let the other guy forget the guy's name, just bluster back and forth on deciding which drink to drink, when in fact it didn't matter because you know Kroll was ready for both outcomes. I just saw it recently again. I wouldn't have known that name. Vizzini. They're making a remake of that movie. I have no, no idea. No, I don't think they are. I think they shot it down. Oh. I hope they shot it down. Fingers crossed. Yeah, right. I think they shot it down. Um, Hopefully. I mean, who knows? It's, well, I, I won't hold out. I, I'm sure at some point someone's going to try and make more money off of it, but we'll see. Um, anyway, then they have this whole conversation Snape and Harry do about, like, so was I like my father? And... Um, uh, Snape kind of has a strange expression and says, actually, you resemble more, and then he stops, and then then Snape's looking at Harry, and he's like, Lestrange called, called you a son of a mudblood. It didn't seem to bother you much. And Harry says, well, not under those circumstances, no. And Snape's like, well, you just helped him, you, and he threw it back in your face. Surely that isn't something you just forgive. And they Harry has this kind of, you know, they have, I don't want to read the whole thing, but this back and forth about, he's like, well, I mean, he'd just been through some shit. And he's like, well... Sure, but say it was a friend of yours. Then he's like, "Well, then if you're a friend, all the more reason to forgive him." And um, so you know, yeah. And then they get in the then the kind of at least the interesting part to me is when they then Snape sort of starts delving into the it's the hypothetical. What about if somebody? But he's really like retelling the story of when uh, James Potter had bullied him, but he doesn't tell Harry that that's who he's talking about. Um, and besides, I'm mean, getting into more of that, but. Um, I also thought it was like later thinking about it, there was interesting like that, that, this whole thing about Snape is in love with Harry's mother and, and, um, James Potter and Sirius were shitty to Snape, uh, when they were all in, in school, um, was kind of a big plot point, uh, in the original books. And I kind of like, like, it sort of acknowledges that like, we all know that already. We all read them. So we can't, you can't play that thing up as any kind of surprise or, or, put a lot of significance to it in this plot so i liked how it sort of like acknowledged that it brought it up really early uh in this plot and dealt with kind of with the importance of it without it was sort of like yes we're going to acknowledge that and but by the way that's not going to be the main part of this plot here so that i think was just sort of interesting that like oh th- this thing that was huge is not going to be huge here and at least they at least wrap it up quickly whether or not it's yeah. huge um it there, there is indications that it seems like it's going to be huge there's the line where you know, Snape said, or I guess we'll get there, but, um, so, you know, uh, Snape's like, oh, so I guess you're just a forgiving person. You know, I suppose your your stepfather taught you that. And he's like, more like mom and dad or more like dad's science and fantasy collection. Sort of like my fifth Mm -hmm. parent, really. And I like this line and I take it tongue in cheek. I take it that Harry is delivering it tongue in cheek rather, where he says, I've lived the lives of all the characters in all my books and their mighty wisdom thunders in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, that's the sort of thing where it like, he, so, I mean, he, he goes on to explain it, I guess, where he's like, somewhere in there, I suspect someone was like Lasoth, and though I couldn't say who it was, and it wasn't hard to put myself in his shoes, and my books also told me what to do about it. You know, the good guys forgive. And Severus gave a light. That, t- that part totally rings right. Like, this is, again, one of those sort of, like, fan fiction things. You wouldn't be so transparent about it uh, in a, quote, normal book. But, I mean, because you read that, and I'm like, yep, that's how I work, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Severus has this line, like, I'm afraid I wouldn't know much about what good people do. And Harry looks at him and he says, that, or he thinks to himself, that was kind of sad, actually. But then, like, I like this. He actually offers. He's like, I'll lend you some novels with good people in them if you like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I know, hey, if you, want, if you want to learn about good people, I, you know, I get to, I can give you some fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I this, know, there was, at least for me, like, it was both funny, but there was, like, underneath it, there was this sort of, like, kind of, like, like this almost, like, painful, sad kind of bit to it. Yeah, if that didn't yeah. come through when I was saying it, I meant for it too. Yeah. Um, like the fact no, that he's, that he's I mean, offering to both, both funny you know, and kind of sad. Yeah, it's funny that he's trying to show him like, oh, I can. If you want to know about good people, I can show you these books I read. But like, how sad is yeah. that you have to learn from books? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's when he goes on to describe like his own background of being bullied, but he's talking about it like it's other other students. Um, mm-hmm. And there's the he is like yeah so. Basically, there was a fifth-year Slytherin who was being bullied by Gryffindors, and he was wooing a beautiful Muggle-born girl and who came across him being bullied and tried to rescue him. He called her a mudblood, and that was the end for them. He apologized many times, but she never forgave him. Have you any thoughts of what he could have said or done to win her forgiveness the way you forgave Lestrange? And you pulled out the quote um, of Harry's reply there. Yeah, I said, um, M, but you say it with, it's erm, but with an English accent, it's M. Um, Harry said, based on only that information, I'm not sure he was the main one who had a problem. I'd have told him not to date someone that incapable of forgiveness. Suppose they got married. Can you imagine life in that household? And I read that and I'm like, wait, what? Because I think we do a pretty good job of, of understanding Mudblood as being the Harry Potter universe of the N-word. And to go like, oh, because, and so then translate that into what that would be in in our world, it would be, okay, Snape is in love with a black girl and calls her the N-word, and Harry's just said, wow, I can't believe she's so unforgiving. Like, in that sense, you're like, well, of course, that's fucking ridiculous, because it's not just like, oh, you are a person that would call somebody a mudblood. It's that, oh, and you think of me as that person. Like, that whole thing is so, like, not forgivable, even if you're, like, the forgiving type. Like, that's a clearly shows that the, the whole situation is fucked up. So that was weird to me. I'm like, Harry's saying, like, that's a forgivable thing? Like, no. Well, I mean, Harry, Harry literally just finished forgiving that, like, 30 seconds ago. I think what Harry's... Yeah, but, yeah, it's, but, although he didn't really forgive it, but he's, like, that's a level of, like, not cool. I sp- yeah, I don't know. I got the impression Harry really did forgive it. I think because yeah. like, well, it's like the, I mean, it's less for Harry to forgive. I mean, it's just some like random kid calls him mudblood. You can just kind of let that slide. But I, th- I think that would be like you know, if it was on the table, it's not. But like Lasoth and Harry aren't ever going to be bestest buddies, right? Um, and that's like, and the tossing around the word mudblood is just on a long list of reasons why it wouldn't. Yeah, I, c- um, I can see that. I think the other thing that made it different is their situations are reversed, where or well, kind of like. So Harry was willing to extend the fact that he could, or was willing to extend forgiveness to Lestrange because he was just going through some, you know, pretty harrowing bullying, right? Mm -hmm. So he was like, I'm not going to hold him, you know, I'm not going to read deep things about his personality or his character from how he reacted in this particular situation. You know, Thasoth came up to me in the hallway under controlled circumstances and like was calm and collected and said, by the way, I think you're a mudblood piece of shit. Um, Then it's like, oh, okay, Thasoth's a dick. But Harry's not yeah. going to read anything into Lasoth's being a dick from his situation right here. And yet it seems yeah. like Harry's mom did. Um, yeah. And so the what's what I like about this whole exchange is that, like, well, I guess there's the next thing. And he was like, oh, but Snape, Snape says, oh, but she could forgive. Why? Afterwards, she went off and became the girlfriend of the bully. Why would she give the bully and not the bullied? And 
Harry's like, well, at a wild guess, the bully had hurt someone else very badly, mm-hmm. and the bully had hurt her just a little. Um, and maybe he's not relating, maybe Harry's not grasping how uh, uh, intensely, or how much baggage the, you know, the M word cl- mm-hmm. carries. The M word, that's um, what I start calling it. But, you know, well, maybe because she had been hurt just a little bit, and that felt far more forgivable to forgive somebody who had, you know, hurt somebody else badly. Or, not to put too fine a point on it, was the bully handsome or rich and... Snape says yes to both, and ah, well, there you have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a here. I'll, I'll I'll take this one. This this, I, this paragraph bothered me a ton, and may actually have just colored my the way I took these whole two chapters. Um, this is that, so yeah. In response to saying yeah, he was rich and good looking, and there you have it, said Harry. Not that I've ever been through high school myself, but my books give me to understand that there's a certain kind of teenage girl who will be outraged by a single insult if the boy is plain or poor, yet who can somehow find room in her heart to forgive a rich and handsome boy his bullying. She was shallow, in other words. Tell whoever it was that she wasn't worthy of him and he needs to get over it and move on and next time date girls who are deep instead of pretty. Um, Like, that's so fucking ugly. And it's like so ugly that I got to think this was on purpose. But um, And I realized as I read, I'm like, oh my God, that's super incel. Um, and I'm like, oh, this was written before that became a thing. Um, uh, this was written in like 2010 to 15. It'd be right. I think was incel it, was, was that, a word back was then. Was it already? It was already a word. Um, cause it's so, especially, I mean, when she's like, oh, was he rich or good looking? It's such a nasty little, like projecting your own shortcoming shit out onto other people. Um, it was just, I mean, and cause this came like right after the whole, like forgive for using the M word. Um, it's just like super ugly kind of like blaming other people like it's not well maybe she just wasn't that into you as they would say um that you know or maybe she doesn't like going out with people that think that she's just a quote mudblood um it was i mean because and it's got this like ugly kind of demeaning the other person because they don't like you thing it's just the whole thing was like super ugly and it's I, yeah yeah i can totally i can read it that way i think uh, you know, if I put it, I know, in my, was, my, is your read of this? Were, do you think we were supposed to? And you probably you know how this plays out, so maybe maybe you do know more. But like, was your read of this that we were supposed to take this as ugly? Or I, I think that's one of the really valuable things going through this with you, because like I think I've got these super rose-colored glasses for like basically mm-hmm. everything Harry says and does, and so like I'm though I didn't quite see it that way. Like I I read it as like Harry advising somebody who had been rebuked by someone who seemed shallow that uh you know it doesn't um it doesn't sound bad to say like yeah that, that person sounds mm-hmm. shallow um because like shallow people exist i don't think that's an incel thing to yeah. say um and so like whether harry's read of it his, his understanding of the situation is enough to justify that kind of insult to who he doesn't know is actually his mom um i Damn. you know that aside i think i could read it that way and like the other thing too is that harry doesn't understand like adult feelings at all like or even like pubescent feelings like he's 11 um so like all of it comes from tv and books and so in in television shows you know uh that might be how things went i don't remember tv in the 90s but um you know it's like oh well you know he's he's all nice and handsome so i'm gonna go with him instead and you know that that was definitely a trope back then so i think think you didn't you didn't take this though as like an like an example of like his other there's been other times where he's clear like his arrogance is you know there on purpose as a thing that we're going to deal with later in the plot but that this didn't seem to you like part of that like trying to do that because that that the way i read it was like not yeah that it wasn't 
I don't know. The, the whole thing, the whole thing with Harry's personality is, is really hard to read. But no, this I, one didn't, didn't feel like like this. Just felt like this really like kind of ugly yet sincere expression of. of no, I like that. I think part of part of why I I I don't I'm not a great reader in that I don't uh, I don't I don't read. I have to like actually pause to read into things. I'm more just like read what's on the page and like don't think about it. Like unless mm-hmm. it showed in my face, like any sort of stuff, um, like that you're supposed to like read from stuff or interpret. Most of that's always mm-hmm. lost on me. So um, I don't know. That that's that's partly why I wanted somebody who's read more books than I have to, to help me co-host <laughs> this because I'm not a a the, the the kind of reader who reads into stuff and and picks up on like subtext and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I guess like this, especially like incels specifically for me, it makes me super uncomfortable. I, you've probably been on like the, the incel subreddits. Um, I, I probably, that, tr- I, I probably perused it once when it was linked to my first time yeah. and was immediately freaked out and left. I know. It's, yeah. It's a group of, of toxic fucks who think that like, because they're nice, that women owe them sex and. Um, yeah, that, and the, that basically yeah. the reason the and only reason that they're not getting laid all the time is because it's not problems with them; it's problems with all the women out there. They all, yeah, suck. and all of and that they're like underneath that. There's this idea that their self worth is measured by how many women will sleep with them, and that women are bitches for not doing that. Yeah, and, it's gross shit. And the reason why that stuff bothers, like if that stuff bothers me so much because I read that and it's, I mean, it's really awful and it's terrible. And yet, at least for me, like the nerdy kid in high school is like, oh, but I can see that spot in myself. And I really don't like that one. Like, like, oh, I, part of me speaks that language. Um, and that's why I like, but, and that's, what, and the, that is just like one, one evil corner of like this whole constellation of, of shitty, um, shitty behavior and personality traits that are like in the neighborhood I live in. Um, of, you know, this sort of like insecurity based arrogance and this, you know, totally twisted, dark interaction with, you know, the whole, with, you know, any kind of romantic or just sex in general kind of attitudes that, and that's why this stuff like winds me up is that it's because it feels, it's so plausibly part of me, um, that, and so when this, but this one was so sort of like nakedly awful on, on its face and I'm like, oh, wow. I think I more just read it as Harry not really grasping the whole situation, and like, it it could be that he's I, I I don't know I didn't I didn't quite read that into it. I think it's like I said more just Harry saying well I found it in my heart to forgive this kid. Um, sure I wouldn't date him, but Harry's also not interested in dating people. Like I, again I think Harry doesn't quite get what what anything relating to romantic feelings whatsoever. So, like. Um, you know, let's pretend that that Lily intervened with with Severus's bullying because, like, she actually liked him, and they they almost had like a thing going. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and calls her the M word, and then of course she's going to be deeply hurt by that. But Harry completely misses that. He's he, maybe I think he's just missing the gravity of it, and that's why he can say like, "Oh, yeah. she just seems shallow," um, which uh, I don't know. Um, it there it. Goes, yeah, and I get, I get so light, like I can't tell to what extent this is on purpose or not because the two things that are kind of happening in close proximity here are he calls her mud blood, and then Harry says that she's shallow for not forgiving it. So both like this a this super like not very forgivable thing, and then oh shallow bitch goes out with rich good looking guy instead of forgiving this like trivial thing like that's so bad on its face that then you're like oh maybe this is here on purpose but this where this all. Well, and, and it would be it's weird, too, like get, from Harry's description, you know, he's imagining like walking into this hallway, seeing 
you know, somebody being, let's say, bullied at least as bad as Lasoth is being bullied here. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to go date the bully instead. And he's, you know, a, a sports, he's, he's a, a champion athlete. He's rich and he's famous, and, or not famous, but he's rich and, and good looking and an athlete. And um, like, so hearing that description, you know, Harry's like, oh, she just seems shallow. Um, mm. But yeah, it could be, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm reading it from a naive point of view, which I think might be the intended reading because Snape goes on to like, there's kind of like this tension that builds. And then Harry's like, well, I not really have any uh, expertise in the area. That's just what I think someone from my books would say. And then Ferris is like, I think this is the last time we should talk to each other. And he's like, whoa, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? And he's like, you offended me and I no longer trust your cunning. And you've given me well-meant advice, so I'll give you true advice in return. His voice was almost perfectly steady, like a string almost stretched perfectly horizontally, despite the massive weight hanging from its, million, from its middle by a million tons of tension pulling at either end. And Severus says, You almost died today, Potter. In the future, never share your wisdom with anyone unless you know exactly what you're both talking about. It is. Uh, that's so, a line. Yeah, so I think that that's... The, I think what we're supposed to read from Harry's, like, off-the-cuff not well thought out response there is that it was in fact not well thought out he had he didn't really know what he was talking about and all of the gravity of it was was lost on him and then harry makes the connection that oh shit you were the bully oh and he cuts he cut himself off but yeah Yeah. and sever says yes i was and then there's the whole like um the moment when uh you know harry's like okay just lose and i it it's interesting, like you said, that that's a, that pulled out as like a strategy rather than like a personality trait. Mm-hmm. I think for me, my reading on that was like a not ready to lose Harry in quotes would say, you know, might stand up and be like, well, it's not my fault I misinterpreted the situation. You didn't explain it well. And mm-hmm. I still stand by what I say. Instead, he just immediately buckles under. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And um, Severus is just like, no, I'm not going to hear no, that's it. That's a good line. No. Yeah. He just says no. Just that one word. Yeah. Um, and then Harry stood there silent, uh, frantically considering his options. Severus stood between him and the window, which is a real pity because a fall from that height wouldn't kill a wizard, which means he's like, I wish I could throw myself <laughs> out that window to escape the situation right now. Um, and then Harry tries to guess. He's like, my father was the one who protected you from the bullies. And then Snape kind of walks off and stops without turning around and says, your father was the bully. And what your mother saw in him was something I never did understand until this day. And, um, it's, so it seems like maybe Snape kind of took it that way. Snape strikes me, I don't know, it might be uncharitable to say he strikes me as a bit more of an incel kind of character than, than what Harry was going for, but. Well, yeah, well, I think, I mean, that was pretty much, yeah, in the original, that's, I mean, that's a very loaded term now, but that was kind that was pretty much the character that Snape was supposed to be with in, in that story though, like the turnaround for Snape was, you know, even after all of that, he swore to protect Harry's life. And I think that's sort of like, you know, Snape's big redeeming quality. But that whole part, like that whole interaction, like he was definitely like the nerdy kid, um, but with like a little, you know, that ugly part to his personality that he would call her mudblood. Um, so I think, yeah, that's all kind of part of it. I don't know, we'll see what, what kind of Snape we get here, but I think that part's very much on purpose. Yeah, and it's it's... I don't want to go so far as to to call uh, you know Snape an incel because that again that's such a disgusting oh, it's a, thing, it's a loaded but, term and it's not yeah. a it's but but that 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 sort of ugly 
blaming the person whose approval you were seeking. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you pulled out the, the nice line about how it describes Harry looking at the, the sky. Um, that was, that was just good. It doesn't even have anything to do with it. It's just well written. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is after all of this happens and Harry's like, Oh fuck. Um, so he said, Harry stared out at the clouds and the light drizzle for a while. The window looked out on the east grounds and it was afternoon. So if the sun was visible through the clouds at all, Harry couldn't see it. That's a yeah. good line. Yeah, just it, it line. kind of paints a cool little picture. Yeah. And I, I liked the next part a lot where um, he's he's reflecting on it and he's like, so, so his father had been a bully and his mother had been shallow. Maybe they'd grown up later. Good people like Professor McGonagall did seem to think the world of them. And it might not be only because they were heroic martyrs. Um, which I mean, even that speaks to character growth, you know, like mm. they, they seem like great people because they, they did, they laid their lives down to protect their baby. Um, and then Harry's like, you know, of course that was scant con- consolation when you were 11 and about to turn into a teenager and wonder what sort of teenager, teenager you might become. So very terrible. So very sad. Such an awful life. Harry led learning that his genetic parents hadn't been perfect. Why he had to spend a little while moping about that, feeling sorry for himself Maybe he could complain just to Lysopho Strange. <laughs> and which I like it. I mean, it speaks that Harry totally gets like that his situation is like, you know, oh man, they weren't perfect. Well, woe is me. And he totally yeah. gets how dumb that thought is. And he reflects well, on like, it. It sort of like works well. Like we do, like Professor McGonagall is a person that he totally trusts, uh, you know, seems to think the world of his parents. I think it, it kind of like ties well together with the way that Lysopho stormed out and how like sort of fucked up the whole, you know, ethical emotional symmetry to the whole thing um that also like his parents too are also probably a mess like not not a mess so much but like not easily categorized yeah totally um and then the the last bit of the chapter is him reflecting on how terrible azkaban sounds like i think he probably looked it up after i think in the first transfiguration lesson um they see somebody being punished in azkaban for trying to poison somebody with transfigured gold Mm. or something or whatever and uh he is like Harry had read about Dementors and how they suck, you know, life and happiness away from people and, you know, replace them with all just your worst memories. And you don't get to keep your, you don't even get to keep your happy memories. And, um, he's like, he tried to imagine his parents in that situation. And then his brain, his imagination blew a fuse and called emergency shut down and told him to never imagine that again. Mm -hmm. And was it right to do that to anyone? Even the second most evil person in the world? No. said the wisdom of Harry's books, not if there's any other way at all. Which I love that. That's that's the very superhero Batman-y perspective, yeah. you know. So um, there's no, like, Wizarding World Geneva Conventions. It's like interesting. Azkaban shit seems to be a little over the top, you know. And that's that's the thing that I, you know, I don't know if the Dementors or Azkaban are supposed to symbolize anything more than, like, the, the surface level thing of, like, prison sucks in the canon version. But, like, the Dementors aspect makes Azkaban not just a prison, but a full-on torture chamber. Mm-hmm. And... You know, like Hagrid went there 50 years after his crime, his supposed crime. Remember in like what, book two? Because um, oh, yeah. he was he was framed for the whole like death of Myrtle the, or something. Um, yeah. Which yeah, like creature escaping. And so you, you could go you can go to a torture chamber. I don't know what uh, Hagrid's sentence was supposed to be, but you, you can go to a torture chamber for for a crime that flimsy. And it'd be one thing like, all right, we think you did it. We're going to put you in jail for a month. Like that's still wrong, but that's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. But like, all right, cool. We're going to waterboard you and put you in like 
you know, matrix stimulation where you're being just reliving your worst memories over and over for, you know, 10 months and then you've served your time. Like, that's fucked up. It's, it's wizard Guantanamo. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's, but it's almost worse. Like, even in Guantanamo, it, well, it's like, you're it's just like Guantanamo, being, but like at wizard volume. Yeah, wizard volume. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, and I don't want to say it's worse than actual. I mean, Guantanamo is a real place and Azkaban isn't. But, like, in Guantanamo, at least when you're sitting in your cell, you get to remember the things you like. Where in this, it's part of the explicit punishment that we're going to take that away from you. Yeah. Um, you know, the reflects that even if his mom had ever loved him, she she doesn't anymore because she can't because that would have been a happy mm. thought. And, like, that's, that's a that's like the worst thing I can imagine doing it's to somebody. Just dark. Yeah, it's dark yeah. as fuck. Um, let's see. Harry has that line where he's thinking about um, uh, where Quirrell had told him under the stars where sometimes in this unusually flawed world, or this unusually flawed, blah, blah, blah. you read the line, you pulled out the quote. Oh, I did pull it. See, this is like two uh, really nice lines right near each other. Um, and Harry remembered what Professor Quirrell had said beneath the starlight. Sometimes when this flawed world seems unusually hateful, I wonder whether there might be some other place far away where I should have been. But the stars are so very, very far away, and I wonder what I would dream about if I slept for a long, long time. Right now, this flawed world seemed unusually hateful. And then the other part, I don't even get it. That was just, that was a really beautiful line. Um, yeah. Was he, was, was part of that a quote from earlier? I don't think it was. He was like talking about that scene um, when they were in, quote, outer space. Um, but he didn't actually say any of this, did he? That line was in that in was that it a, chapter. In the, it was in that chapter. Yeah, and then, then Harry's reflecting about how this mm-hmm. world now seems unusually hateful. Um, and then you had said and that the it, last part. Yeah, and Harry yeah. couldn't understand Professor Quirrell's words. It might have been an alien that had spoken, or an artificial intelligence, something built along such different lines from Harry that his brain couldn't be forced to operate in that mode. Um, I called that one out because hey, I'm, I'm on. There's something AI going on the the big gotcha of whatever's going on here is going to have something to do with like harry's actually a a, a robot with shitty people skills and, <laughs> and i just like i just put into, that and he's turning into a real boy I, I just put that it's turtles i mean ai all the way down um i think i think that this comes up that sort of like arguing with something built along such different lines that your brain couldn't be forced to operate in that mode i think it's because the author is an artificial intelligence researcher and thinking yeah. about those sort of things part of his job um he also has a and we make a great idea for a, for a movie for a uh, a book to write about it. Yeah, he also has a short story about aliens, kind of like this. That is a lot of fun that we should totally cover at some point. Um, maybe we'll do like an interlude between mm-hmm. you know this or maybe after this this uh, this book is done. It's only six chapters, maybe seven, I think. Um, That'd be cool. But the aliens thing is is a lot of fun. It's kind of like a a meta ethics exploration. But this chapter ends with saying. Because he, he can't understand where, where Quirrell's idea is. Like, you know, when this place sucks, I just think about leaving. And Harry's like, you can't think about leaving. You can't leave your home planet when it com- contains a place like Azkaban. You had to stay and fight. Mm, that was a good line. I like yeah. That. I mean, it's like, that's, again, that's Harry's bat- inner Batman. Like, you know, uh, Batman's solution to Gotham sucking isn't like, well, fuck it, I'm going to move to New York. It's like, I'm going to stay and fix Gotham. Right? Yep. So. Yeah, I like that. Um, and there is something, I mean, that's like the sort of like complicated. There's something like... Admiral's not the right word, but you like sympathize when Harry's like being totally like taking on the responsibilities of the world and beating himself up for for not being omnipotent and able to just fix everything. Like you're like, oh, you know what? Like I feel bad for you that that you feel that. And because and so on. The, like the flip side of that is almost some, kind of something admirable about the like superhero ish about just feeling like you should fix everything. Yeah, and I think having an inner superhero ethic 
resonates really well with me. Yeah. Uh, so it, I like that a lot. Um, we are we are closing in at two hours. So I, I mean, the next chapter is longish, but luckily there's not. I think there's a lot to cover if we want to dig deep into like the what it's trying to teach. And I think we'll try and touch on that. But plot wise, it doesn't. Not a whole lot happens. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try and much, summarize real brief yeah. what happens, and then we can just talk about the parts that stand out to us. Does yeah. that work? Yeah. So yeah, it is pretty like it's it's more thought dense than plot dense. Yeah, I think so. Um, so like the, the long and short of it is that basically Harry and Hermione are experimenting with transfiguration, which is actually a big no-no, which Her- Hermione realizes later. Um, they're trying to like make a cure to Alzheimer's pill, which they, the hope would be <laughs> that that scientists could reverse engineer. Um, and then Harry flips his like uh, his superhero ethics mentality on Hermione when Hermione when, the, when eventually they're kind of like thinking about giving up or at least Hermione is and Harry is like look I hate to put it this way but like what if we waited till we graduated and the first thing we tried was the Alzheimer's cure pill and it had worked wouldn't you feel kind of stupid and she's like you can't just like you can't think of things that way and he's like well I, I sort of do um, you know he's got this responsibility already but mm-hmm. then um, Hermione's feeling deflated by their lack of proge- progress um, and so is Harry but rather than face the prospect of disappointment, he just gets pissed and scares Hermione away with his dark side. Um, they do succeed in making long bucky tubes, which is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> and the, they sort of like forget and they like leave them hanging there. Well, he, they're, they're, he's still working in there, I think. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Um, like, so yeah, bucky tubes are basically like what, the carbon fiber nanotubes? Um, I which think, is yeah, a, they're a cool thing. Of like the space elevator thing. Yeah, they're supposed to be like a super strong material. Yeah, and they actually do exist. That's a real thing I remember reading about yeah. in one of the popular science books back in the day. Um, so, yeah, that, that experiment actually works. They can make Bucky tubes bigger than they've ever been made before. Um, then uh, Hermione's like, look, I don't think we can do things adults can't. I think we should just study. And then when we're like, we have an adult education, then we can come back and do this. And Harry sees that more as a challenge of like, all right, fine. So do something impossible. I'll do that and then get back to you. And if we can't do that, then we'll study. How's the, you know, that sound fair? And she's like, uh, okay, sure. Bye. And she leaves to go to lunch and, um, she's worried they won't be friends anymore, but he's like, no, we're cool. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's pissy. Cause I think he's feeling the same sort of like, why is none of this shit working out that she is, but he's not ready to give up here. Um, and then I, I kind of like his, his approach of like, all right, let's do something impossible. So step one, uh, make a list of every magical constraint that Harry could remember, starting with all the thing or the, all the things that you, you're not supposed to be able to do. Step two: mark the constraints that seemed the least seems to make the least sense from a scientific perspective. Step three: prioritize the constraints that a wizard would be unlikely to question if they didn't know science. And step four: come up with avenues for attacking them. So, while Hermione goes to lunch, Harry's trying to transfigure air into a paperclip, which is more safe than turning a paperclip <laughs> into air. And he's like, okay, maybe that makes sense because, you know, the atoms in the air are moving around, so whatever. Um, and it keeps flashing back and forth in this kind of fun way where Hermione, like, is trying to, like, she had this sense of, of she had this note of confusion earlier because she asks Harry if it's safe to, um, you know, experiment with the bucky tubes. And he's like, well, I don't see why it wouldn't be safe. And so it's, while she's at lunch, she's reciting the rules of transfiguration in her head. Mm-hmm. And then it shows where, like, she had run off at some point with some, one of her... Uh, whatever lunch mates was like, huh, I wonder what got into her when she just goes sprinting away. And it was because she had remembered that, uh, one of the important rules was like, don't ask anyone who's not a professional. If something is safe, ask me, 
I think Professor Flitwick, Professor Snape, or Professor Dumbledore, yeah. if anything's safe. Like, Although ask, I think like the Bucky Tube thing wasn't like he was fairly harmless in terms of what they were trying to do. It certainly I mean, seems just, that but, like, it, but it violates yeah, the it rules. Was, yeah, it violates the rules. And the but rules it, like, that are there for very like sensible one, reasons. Yeah. Yeah, so like that was that was the thing. That's it was why the thing she that probably it. would have been told was safe. Yeah, exactly. But and I think that's that's why it didn't raise loud enough alarms to the, with either of them while they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it has this moment of like, uh, wait, I asked another eleven year old if this was safe, and they said yes, <laughs> and I did it anyway. This 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 violates all the safety rules we were like that were embedded to us. I remember McGonagall said that we're going to repeat these lessons for the first lesson of for every lesson for the first month of classes. And it's it, they still didn't think of it when the time came to like let's remember how dangerous this shit is. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. So um, basically, and then it just kind of jumps to Harry's decided that. Well, like he goes from the um, oh I should be able to turn air into a paperclip into why what that it makes no sense at all that you will have to uh, transfigure an entire thing because the idea of an entire thing like a a baseball is just a bunch of atoms and not a baseball and like it's a super arbitrary distinction. So then he spends a whole bunch of time getting all Kwai Jin Kang about, I say that name wrong? Kung Fu. Um, <laughs> about, uh, about like how does he, he's going to train himself into being able to figure out how to transfigure just a part of a thing. Um, because he's, he's just, I think it's more that it just bothers him on like a basic level that there's some like super stupid, um, arbitrary distinction about what can and cannot be transfigured and so I, was, and I think this is what you were talking about about how uh, about how like his whole like superpower um, part of himself always falls flat but that like this one uh, didn't where he just sort of like keeps it is that he just kind of keeps trying to think his way through it and he eventually does but it's just sort of like oh if I just think about the problem right I'll be able to, to do it and just nothing more than like a, a a really complicated pep talk to himself is what he's able to finally do it but but yeah when he's able to get his mind right and and see that there is no spoon um he's able to transfer what i can't remember what it's like part of an eraser i think is what he's eventually able to transfigure yeah so that's that's what happens is that it, it's not fueled from like his dark side mysterious power or whatever mm. it comes from his understanding of yeah. the fact that no in reality there's no such thing as an eraser there's a collection yeah. of of atoms and it's even more basic than that there's there's it, it, he gets deep get kind of into like the, the quarks, yeah. Exactly. It goes more levels down, and it talks about the the way that humans model the world, which I actually kind of like. It 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 comes it comes at it from a different angle. This is also something that you learn through any basic. This is kind of trippy. Stuff. This 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 part was kind of trippy. Yeah, yeah, and it's trippy, but it's a fun way to act, like this. This is just straight up true, right? You walk around the park, and you're not you're seeing the park in the in a naive sense, and in a but in a scientific sense, and what's actually happening in your brain is like your eyes are taking in sense data in the form of photons that's trans transfigured, I was going to say. Um, that's like transpiled into data for your brain in your optic nerve, in your optic, uh, uh, whatever, the, the back part of your brain where your, your uh, eyeball your, your science lives. Um, yes, yeah, I think your occipital lobe. Um, and then that, that, that turns into a picture of the park in your brain. And that it's a, it, like I said, it's fun and trippy, but that is the way reality actually works. Like you look around and you're not, you know, you, naively you see, you know, your desk and a computer and stuff, but really what you're seeing is a picture painted in your head from data that's fed into your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
so he he's like, look, there's no such fucking thing as an eraser. This is horseshit. Um, and he he keeps upping his his level of like how deep he's looking at things and how he's trying to separate himself from like looking at it through the the perspective of like I'm you know I'm here in a classroom observing this eraser. He's like, no, no, it's not. That's not how reality actually works. And through a combination of that and understanding how reality actually works in the form of like quantum mechanics and the what makes up a, an eraser. He succeeds in transfiguring part of it into steel. Um, but Hermione comes crashing in and like says, Harry, get out. And luckily he's not like the kind of, you know, I don't know, uh, the annoying character in every movie where it's like, run, it's an emergency. And they're like, huh, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, oh, he doesn't even, he doesn't ask questions. He gets up and runs out. Mm-hmm. And then she. Uh, that part confused me though. Like there wasn't any actual like imminent danger. Was there? Was she just like worried? She didn't know. And that's the thing yeah. they didn't know, right? Yeah. They, they'd asked each other and consulted two 11-year-old yeah. uh, transfiguration practitioners, like, whether or not this was safe. And it almost certainly was. But the point was, is like, they're not professionals. They shouldn't be doing this, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're playing with fire, and neither of them are trained to do it. So, um, you know, she asks if he feels healthy, and he's like, yeah. And she's like, we broke the rules, Harry. We broke the rules. <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, I... I've been thinking about it, but and she's like, I asked if the transfigu- I asked if the transfiguration was safe, and you answered me. And Harry's like, "That's it." She could have screamed. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, don't you get it? It's made of tiny fibers. What if it unraveled? Who knows what could go wrong? We didn't ask Professor McGonagall. Don't you see what we were doing? We were experimenting with transfiguration. And he's like, "Right. That's probably one of those things they don't even bother to tell you not to do because it's too obvious. Don't test new brilliant ideas for transfiguration by." by yourself in an unused classroom without consulting your professors. And you could have gotten us killed, Harry. And she says that it wasn't really quite fair, but she needed to be angry. And you could have, po- you could have spoiled Professor McGonagall's perfect record. <laughs> I, I love I that. Like so he's much. got like Hermione's like in the opposite end. Cause um, there was a little quote I had pulled. I don't want to, where is it? Um, and what was silly was assuming wizards knew what they were doing and had already exhausted all the low hanging fruit a scientific polymath would see. Um, so when I saw that, I would read like Harry just assumes that there's no good reason for, and I think I said this before, no good reason for the dumb things that wizards do and isn't really interested in figuring out why they do the dumb things they do. Um, and Hermione's kind of in the opposite end of that, which is sort of, which to some extent though, I think is like she puts it sometimes validly, but just a little too much that, um, like she at least has some humility about it. Like there's a bunch of stuff here we can learn that we don't know yet. And we should learn that before we decide to start, you know, before we make decisions about what is and isn't dumb to be doing. Um, and she's kind of a little more like extreme on the, in the other direction. But I think we're kind of like purposely getting seeing that like both sides of, of that, like Harry's on one end and Hermione's on the other. Totally. And I think you're right. They're both kind of at extremes. I mean, like Hermione's default is to assume that the wizarding world is smart and has reasons for doing what they're doing. And Harry's default is that they're idiots and have no, and have never questioned why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, I think somewhere in the middle probably is the right way to look at stuff that like, yeah. no, they probably have some good reasons for some of this, but, you know, since we don't really know what they are yet, we might as well assume they don't exist or we might, you know, uh, finding that, striking that balance is kind of I think why Harry and Hermione make such good, such good research partners together. <laughs> um, and then it goes to uh, um, basically. Then he gets Professor... pulled into Dumbledore's office. To, this is like his second interrogation is what it felt like to me. 
Yeah, like, well, I think they're in there because he, he goes to Professor McGonagall off screen and says, hey, I've got a cool transfiguration experiment idea. Um, and she's like, okay, well, I've been told that if the boy who lived ever comes to me and says, I've got something that I think I could do that no one else can, I'm to call to the headmaster immediately. So they go straight to his office. And then, like, when he describes what they can do, she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm wasting his time. This is logically impossible. Um, and Harry says, look, I know it's hard to explain, what it adds up to is that what you believe conflicts with what scientists believe in a case where I genuinely expect scientists to know more than wizards. Um, I mean, because that's, that's from where Harry's at, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Like, scientists have a long history or a longish history of, like, particle physics. And uh, as far as Harry knows, wizards have nothing like that. So, yeah. um, And this is the first time in the story that like Harry has done a thing like Harry combined magic and science and did a thing that neither could do before. Is that, this is like the first time, right? Yes. Yeah. I like the only other discovery they've made was the Mendelian pattern, which isn't yeah. like so much like something that he so, can yeah. do. It's just more of like a discovery of how yeah. things are working. Um, what I did like was, so they, they decide like, all right, well, other than being logically impossible, Dumbledore asks, paraphrasing, um, do you, can you see Minerva why there'd be anything dangerous? And, She's like, I don't know, something strange happening at the interface, but I, nothing that I could really think of. And Dumbledore says, yeah, okay, I think so too. And um, I think the, what did they call it? The second degree of caution uh, mm. would be would be sufficient. And Which turns out to be super cautious. <laughs> I, I love it so much. I wonder what the fifth degree looks like. <laughs> uh, so, so degree two uh, was having Harry like in an airtight uh, container that's sealed with... Uh, with magic as well as probably some actual physical barrier with only his wand at the interface touching the thing he's transfiguring. And if anything looks like it's going to go wrong, Harry will be launched out of a skylight and the object will be launched out of a different skylight. And like at the first sign of trouble, which I think is hilarious. And then since it's all from professor McGonagall's point of view, as they're describing the, the precautions they're going to take, it says Harry watched and his face looking a little frightened. And to me, that mm-hmm. speaks that he's like, oh, this is how careful Hermione and I should have been this whole fucking day. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you guys are taking this, to me, what seems super innocuous thing, extremely, extremely seriously. And we were just hanging out in the classroom doing the shit by ourselves. Like, uh, maybe maybe we were a little over the top, <laughs> not, not safe about this. Um, so then Harry's in the safety chair. And uh, that's funny. It's actually called that. Um, the chair that's to launch you out a window should anything go wrong, <laughs> but because they can't, uh, they can't teleport you out or apparate you out, so they're just going to launch you in the sky. <laughs> I think it's just the funniest like image. I mean, having an emergency eject button is awesome. Yeah, hilarious, I, have, yeah but... I picture one of those like those Air Force training like G Force chairs. I picture like he's strapped in one of like a five point harness. Like, exactly, but one that will actually like, shoot him out, not just simulate two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so it works. He he turns what was it like part of a steel ball into glass yeah, or vice versa. Yeah, something um, and it uh, it's, which is better than turning them. half of a bottle of bleach into half of a bottle of Windex. Right, especially because those evaporate. Oh, <laughs> um, well, and the, yeah, they evaporate into like what chlorine gas or something. Oh, you're thinking of a uh, bleach and was, yeah, uh, bleach and ammonia and bleach. Yes, which I actually learned the fun way because my first apartment had a really dirty tub and I was trying to clean it with everything we had in the house. And I eventually got lightheaded and had this really nasty cough. And I knew that this made chlorine gas. And (laughs) it didn't even occur to me. I was just grabbing all the cleaning stuff in the house to try at this. And I had a pretty nasty cough for like a week. I I did Mm. check with with my dad, who's not a doctor, but who works around dangerous chlorine gas type stuff for uh, 
you know, the last 30 years. And he was like, yeah, the cough goes away. You're fine. Um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trapped in there breathing nothing else for 30 minutes. I was in there for a few minutes and I was like, oh wait, shit. Yeah, this is dangerous. And I left and put the fan on. <laughs> that was just um, the thought that like occurred to me. And she's like, oh, there could be, it might be a problem with the interface. Like it should be fine. To, I'm like, well, maybe not always. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess they chose two inert solids. So uh, the process of extracting Harry from the wards took another minute and then Minerva escorted him to a much more comfortable chair and Dumbledore produced an ice cream soda which I just think is adorable it sounds like he has like a mini fridge in his office Mm -hmm. um and they're like yeah congratulations indeed this is awesome and he's like thanks you know trying like sounding surprised and whatever and uh you, you pulled this out where Dumbledore is like look uh you should swear to never tell anyone this um it, did you discuss this with anyone else? And he's like, well, I kind of told Hermione about it. And um, They're like, okay, well, swear to secrecy and don't tell anyone else unless there's an extremely good reason for it. And they too have sworn. Yeah. Um, and that reminded me, I guess, because he was like, so there was so much swearing going on there. It reminded me. And then it, I remembered uh, that he had to promise Snape that he wouldn't ever say anything before Snape would, would say anything. And that was just straight. I'm not sure if there's any significance to this at all, but like everybody's very like promise oriented. Um, and like not only they put a lot of, of importance on whether or not somebody has made a promise, um, or an oath, uh, and a lot of trust, like, Oh, but you like now that you have, then you wouldn't possibly break it. Um, I was just like, yeah, I don't know if that it strikes me as odd. And, uh, it, it is odd. I think maybe it's only because Harry, maybe all the people that make him you know, are, are agreeing to promises here are good people. Like mm-hmm. if you ask Severus to promise to something, you might not, uh, Severus or, you know, um, Draco. Well, even Draco yeah. seems to take his promises seriously. Maybe because he sees how valuable they are in a very Slytherin sense or something. But Yeah, but he will, like, he'll totally make a bullshit promise. Like it's whether or not he's decided it's a real promise. But Yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting. Like I... Um, like I said, maybe it's because Harry's a good guy and good guys don't break promises, but you're right. Like they're not swearing real magical binding oaths. They're just saying promise not to tell anybody. It's like, yeah, totally. And it's like, all right, well you could easily walk back on a promise that week. Yeah. Right. Like people, especially children break promises all the time. Um, it's, but it is something they take very seriously in the story. And I think it's uh, maybe just treating each other like adults or something. I don't know, but yeah, yeah it may not mean anything at all. Well, I, I'm not sure if it, yeah, I'm not sure if it's supposed to mean anything or not. I'm, it's more just like it is an interesting kind of quirk of the uh, the story that they, they do do that a lot. And I think it's more just like they, um, I don't know, like I said, they, they put gravity in it because yeah. there's, there's not, you know, a short of sharing. It works well in a story, too. It's, it can be sort of a dramatic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it just it just stuck out to me. It's like a little strange. Yeah, no, I, I, when you pointed it out, it stuck out to me, too. Um, yeah. But I guess short of making unbreakable vows all the time, it's the best mm-hmm. they can do. So, um Let's see. There was a long quote I pulled out. Oh, yeah. It was... Um, so after Harry had gone, it's still from uh, Minerva's point of view. And she says, Albus, how how did you know to take Harry seriously? I would have thought his idea merely impossible. And the wizard's the old wizard's face turned grave. For the same reason it must be kept secret, Minerva. The same reason I told you to come to me if Harry made any such claim. Because it is a power that Voldemort knows not. And it took a few seconds for the for it to sink in. And then a cold shiver went down her spine, as it always did when she remembered. It had started out as an ordinary job job interview, Sibyl Trelawney applying for the position of Professor of Divination. And then it recites the prophecy, which I wonder if you remember the other the old one word for word. Yeah, it's not this I don't it's a lot shorter and it's not this one. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's only a lot of the other cant or something. 
Yeah, I think that's the only difference. I think it's two lines short, or it's one line shorter, basically. Like, so the full prophecy in this goes: the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born as the born to those who have thrice divide him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord shall mark him as his equal. But he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must destroy all but a remnant of the other, for those two different spirits cannot exist in the same world. I think the other one just changed the destroy all but a remnant. And the the next line to, um, and neither can live while the other survives or something, mm-hmm. where it was just more like this. This seems to have, I don't know, more room for being cryptic rather than like one has to kill the other. Yeah. Um, I don't have much more to read into it other than that. But, um, anyway, McGonagall points out that this doesn't seem like that sort of thing that the prophecy was talking about. Um, but I I do like again Dumbledore is wearing his Mad Eye Moody hat when he says you know perhaps not then. <laughs> When Minerva tried to explain, I confess that I had been something, hoping for something that helped in finding Voldemort's Horcrux, wherever he may have hidden it. But the old wizard shrugged. Prophecies are tricky things, Minerva, and it's best to take no chances. The smallest thing may prove decisive if it remains unexpected. I just like how, like, you know, Dumbledore agrees. Like, yeah, this probably isn't like that mysterious prophecy power or whatever. But you know, hey, let's not. You know, prophecies are weird. Let's just be super careful. Um, he's fun like that. So. Um, let's see. There's two. Kinda, yeah, and then we have a little. Uh, yeah. Little. Two. Oh yeah. This, well, this is like the first. They call it aftermath, um, where Harry's like, "Oh, Hermione, I think I owe you a really, really, really big apology." <laughs> like, he's like, "You cannot believe the shit they do when you're actually experimenting with transfiguration." Love it. And that's the full aftermath one. And aftermath two, I will let you read slash summarize, because I think uh, it, I, I think pull, it plays wonderfully oh, yeah, into your. We we in can't. My, the the S and M theory of literature, which in the Discord we're now just calling pulling O'Brien. <laughs> I haven't I haven't kept up on that. Is that in the uh, spoiler or in the non-spoiler? I forget, but it was pulling just a O'Brien. quick thing. I, I honestly I haven't been on the Discord in the last few days. We'll touch on that. Yeah. Uh, so it's the so we're just kind of in uh, potions class, and there's is Alyssa Cornfoot even a character we've heard of before? I do not remember her. I think there is. was some discussion in the Discord, and I think she's a new character. Just completely made up. Um, and she's all googly-eyed at uh, at Professor Snape, and he like throws something at her. He's like, "Hey, quick, pay attention! You have to stay with me after class." And she's like, "Ooh, I get to stay after class." <laughs> After class with the professor. Um, and so then after class, she... Uh, um, so the, the line is after class, she goes up to me. She says, Alyssa approached the desk. So this is after class and everybody's left. So it's just her and Snape. Alyssa approached the desk. Part of her wanted to stand there meekly with her face abashed and her hands clasped penitently behind her back. And uh, yeah, I just called that because that is just, it's self-evident. Um, yeah, they didn't have internet porn in 1991, but they had DVDs. And yeah. This, this, as you insinuated with the the classic theme song of all 90s porn, um, that this that screams, you know, whatever that whole student genre of, of pornography. Well, there's that, but also I don't know. There's something about the like part when stand there meekly. Was, it still felt sort of like a little uh, bondage domination-y. Yeah, totally. Not, not just the the sex part, but the uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there it is. What, what I. I was happy to learn because Enosh pointed this out. He says you might want to point this out to Brian when we get to that part. That this was a an intentional nod slash uh, partly inspired by the insane popularity of Snape slash everyone shipping fanfics. Um, <laughs> so at the very least, 
this one we can say is uh, word of God intentional to be like, yes, I'm aware that this is a whole thing. Um, but instead of Snape, you know, bending her over his desk and telling her that she's a bad girl, he <laughs> says, uh, Miss Cornfoot, I do not return your affections and I'm finding your stares disturbing. You'll restrain your eyes henceforth. Is that quite clear? And she says yes and, and squeaked. Yeah, squeaked and fled from the office, her cheeks molten lava. Um, I know we kind of really powered through yeah. that chapter and now I'm realizing that we could have spent maybe 10 more minutes on it, but it has been a long recording. So yep. and I think we hit all the big beats. If we, if we miss any, someone There was a lot more in the, the first chapter. There was, a lot more, there was a lot more going on in the first chapter. Yeah, this was an awesome thing. Like reductionism is is a, a valuable, um, not just rationalist technique, but I mean, even as a programmer, I could think of examples immediately. Like this is abstraction in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. How, many, how many person objects have you written for work, right? Um, <laughs> none of them are people, but they model people sufficiently for the sake of doing what you need them to do. Um, reductionism is basically acknowledging that that's what we do as humans all the time. Like, you know, when I when I look at my car and I'm trying to figure out how to drive, I'm not worrying at all about the chemistry going on underneath. It's it's entirely possible to be an expert driver and have no idea how gas works, mm-hmm. right? Just that your car needs it to live. So um, you, you model things to the level that you need to sufficiently for how you want to interact with it, right? And there, but the, yeah, that whole thing about like riding around inside your skull was a, a trippy explanation of the whole thing. And then you like take it even further. You're like, you know what? You're not even really in your skull. Like, and there's electrical impulses traveling around in there, but those electrons aren't even actually touching each other either. Yeah. There's no, even so like there, you're more in your skull than you are in your kidneys, but like you're, you're, you're not even really there. Yeah, like that, that. That's the that's the fun trivia part. That so, like, you could look at this from like, um, I think the first time I read something like that analogy of the park was in a Richard Dawkins book. So it would have been a biology oriented perspective, and the second time was probably here, and the third time is probably in a like I think in Sam Harris's meditation book. Um, it's like, and in that Sam Harris is the one who takes it all the way of like yeah you know, there's no you that you can point to at this part of your brain is where you live, right? Like you're mm-hmm. kind of all of it, your brain, you, you as an identity, as a, as a thing, the concept of I sort of evades that reductionist breakdown. Um, I, I don't, I think it's certainly dissolvable through enough, um, thinking about it, but, uh, yeah, like it's anyway, that stuff's all fun and cool, but, um, yeah, the takeaway from this was that Harry used his power of science to do something that no one had ever seen before. So yeah, I think that's very like that kind of plants a flag in this. It's like this is his, this is Harry making good on the promise that like oh we're going to be able to do both and they'll both be more powerful. Right. Oh, you know what? There's actually uh, at the top of the chapter, um, you know, the pre-author's note joke was whatever can go rowling will go rowling. Um, <laughs> but then there's a a one sentence thing that so maybe maybe you weren't the first person to point out the incel vibe from the Snape Harry interaction because mm-hmm. the other author's note was he says this should again go without saying, but the views expressed by Severus Snape are not necessarily those of the author. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a I don't know. Keep that in mind. Um, anyway, we've been running for a while. All right. Any last thoughts that you want to hit on the, for whatever? Uh, no, I'm, I'd really, I want to get back to the whole coral thing. Like, Me too. I, I, I get the feeling that we're going to still wander off over here for a while just because you can't have too much at the same time. I mean, you can't have uh, all dessert, right? You got to, exactly. you got to have a balanced diet. So, um, I will say that for the next chapter or the next episode, we are covering chapters 29 and 30, even though 30 is a, at least a two-parter, um, 
Actually, it might be a, yeah, it's a two-parter, but it has a really nice break at the end of part one, and that puts us at a nice long character limit uh, point. Um, so yeah, come back next week for episode, uh, man, episode number, I've kind of forgotten, but chapters like 29 and 30. I think we're on 15. That's coming up fast. Yeah. Um, we still haven't done the book one retrospective. I want to do that at some point. It's been a really hectic, I don't know, a couple of months for me. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, Brian's got a real life too, so... I want to do that not in place of another episode. I'd like to do that like as a thing that we could release. To, I don't know. Yeah, that'll that'll be coming at some point. We'll do like a a book one retro, and then we'll either roll that into another episode or um, something else. You know, I guess we could talk about this now. What if we did just one chapter next week, Brian, and did the book one retro as part of that? Um, yeah, although I think we should we should package them separately because they would work well separately. Um, so yeah, actually, yeah, that does make sense. Um, but yeah, we should, we should release them as two separate things. Cause you could, you could listen to them separately and they would work well separately. That's true. That's right, so good, though. Yeah. Why don't we do that? So do what exactly? Do the retro next week? Uh, do, but yeah, right. Well, we could, uh, we could release the retro in, in a single chapter. Um, we could string those along. Yeah. Let's do the retro next week. Okay. Retro next week. And I think, and maybe a chapter the week after that. And you won't know that we recorded it at the same time. <laughs> I guess we'll see how long it goes. Yeah. And then we'll figure out if it's going to be its own thing or not. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. So Retro will be out next week. And plus or minus, well, yeah, if, if there's room for it, we'll put up part of an episode or something. We'll figure it out. But um, we'll speaking of figuring something. things out, we are trying to figure out more reward tiers for uh, becoming patrons of Doof Media. I don't know if anyone's done that yet. If you have, that's awesome. Um, I am not uh, one of the admins on the Doof Media Patreon account. I think Scott Daly does all of that. So if you want to, if you want to tell him that you're coming from Methods of Rationality, um, I think it asks. I think they actually do put out a survey like, "Where'd you hear about the the Patreon from?" Yeah, I think fill that out if you sign up. Um, shoot a message, especially if you want to cash in on any of the rewards that we're going to have, which we don't have yet, which is stuff we're trying to figure out. I do know that when we hit 400 subscribers, we're going to do a cash prize uh, fan art contest. Or not subscribers, uh, Patreons, patrons. Um, and towards the end of February, I think we're going to aim for a Saturday. Um, we're going to do, they, they do a monthly doof and chill session where all the other podcast hosts get together and they play internet games or um, like, it's usually some variety of internet game. And I've watched a handful of these. They're a lot of fun, um, but they're available Sounds to cool. anyone who's a, a patron. So if you're a patron at the $1 level, you can do that. In addition to uh, at the lowest at the lowest tier again for 1 buck, you get to join the Patreon Discord or the uh, yeah, the Patreon exclusive Discord for Doof Media, which where which is where I'm uh, I'm rambling a bit. Uh, where I'm spending the majority of my methods of rationality discussion time um, not just, you know, selfishly trying to get more people to sign up for uh, Patreon, but also cuz like I don't have it in me to juggle. So there's two channels over on that discord as well so i don't have any to, to juggle for mor my, discord my channels ADD is bad enough as it is yeah so I'm, I'm spending most of my time over on doof for methods of rationality stuff and eventually it'll be all of it um but i mean come on buck a month is nothing for five bucks a month you get the uh um the next level prize which is the access to the oh wait you know i think you what? get the the monthly hangout sessions at the five dollar level not at the one dollar level so Yes, if you want to hang out with us at the end of the month, that's going to be five bucks a month. Um, you cheap one dollar people don't get to hang. Which you know, and it's it's one of those <laughs> things. Like I I was moved over to like I I on one hand 
paying for all the content you like directly is would be kind of prohibitively expensive. If everything I wanted to consume cost me a buck a month, it would be like a lot of money. But especially for like small content creators, like I've I've moved over to the Discord model or dis- Discord uh, um, Patreon model a few years ago, just because like um, I don't there's a I forget who first got me on there, but like you know hey they're they're making stuff throw them a couple bucks a month and oh yeah I remember what this was it's before Patreon was even a thing I've been donating to uh, Skeptoid Media the the podcast that has been releasing every Tuesday morning for like the last fourteen years. Um, it does like a little 12 minute, like, uh, overview of insert random thing that a skeptic person might want to look at. Um, and a lot of them are, all of them, I think are a lot of fun, but I've been throwing him four bucks a month since like 2010 because like I figured, and I was a pizza delivery boy at the time. And I figured that's like, that's like one tip at one house a month for what I enjoy from this guy making stuff. And that said, if you can't support like financially, that's, makes perfect sense don't worry about that um if, the, if you if you're the kind of if you're at a financial level where you will notice a five dollar strain in your budget keep your money this is not something that you know you need to pay for um but if if the cost of one cup of coffee is something that goes neglected to you every month then you know consider throwing it towards doof it doesn't just go to our pockets it goes to um all the hosting for all the doof media podcasts um pays for mics pays for um I don't know, all the other stuff that the doof people do. So And now they just took us on, so we have to earn our keep. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, do go over to patreon.com slash doofmedia and throw them some money if you can. The other thing to announce is that we are eventually going to move off of Inyash's feed. It's getting confusing with counting the numbers of like download count, and Inyash wants to keep using this feed for other stuff, which I think is super awesome. It's his thing. He can do whatever he wants with it. When this was just going to be like a me and Brian side project, it made it was like there was no confusion about like just letting us use his stuff. But um, I don't want to try and like juggle with his uh, his his own feed and his his projects with this thing so that plus the fact that everyone on doof media is doing all the same network and has the same host for all their stuff it just make a lot more sense for us to migrate over there but we will do that really in the in the family yeah and we'll we'll do that slowly we're not going to just jump over there and everyone's going to lose their subscription when we do start the move we'll give you guys like at least a month's notice and announce it every episode that like by the way subscribe over here instead um but over here doesn't exist yet so when it does you'll be the first (laughs) to hear about it all right, I've rambled cool. way too long that my mouth is dry, which tells me that I have been talking for uh, way too many minutes. So I think with that, I'm ready to All call right. it. What about you? We're good. We'll do. So we'll see everybody next time. With we'll see, we'll see, we'll virtually see everybody next time with a uh, a retro, which will actually be really interesting. I think I'm looking forward to it. All right, see you guys. Right. So scratch the whole next chapters. We'll do the retro next episode and uh, come back for that. Right. See you, everybody. Later. Thank you.